You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 45, The Rocks and the Mountains, featuring Justin and Emily Martindale. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Thanks for making Find the Good News a part of your weekly listening routine. Today's episode is a really fun conversation with Southwest Louisiana creative couple Justin and Emily Martindale. It's a fun talk that gets into territory way beyond what you guys might expect. I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did having it. Next week's episode, episode 46, will feature Cameron Parish Port Director Claire Hebert Marceau. This episode will be another road trip special edition of Find the Good News. Claire invited me to drive down to Cameron and visit with her in the space that's close to her heart, Rutherford Beach. You'll get to hear the waves of the Gulf in the background during our visit, creating a lovely sense of space. I'll also be launching a short video featurette with the pod so you can get a better feel for the location. Today's episode is the last episode of June. We launched four episodes this month, and it's turning out that we'll launch five episodes in July. Those will feature Claire Bear Marceau, Braylon Jenkins, Mike Brignac, and Kayla Rigney. I'm working on something special for the 50th episode of Find the Good News, so keep your ears close in the coming weeks for more info on that. You know I love you guys, and thank you all for listening to these conversations. There are so many wonderful people in the Southwest Louisiana region, and it's a real blessing on my life to visit with them in such a meaningful way. It means so much when you send me suggestions for new guests, so please keep those coming. Just follow Find the Good News on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and send me a DM there, or visit findthegood.news and send me an email. I feel like that's probably enough yak yak for today. Let's turn up the squelch, reduce the gain, set the dial to pod, adjust the volume just right, and press play on a little good news. If your heart is invested in a creative endeavor and you're in a relationship, there's almost nothing better than having the full support of your partner or spouse. There's a feeling of uncertainty when you step out into the unknown as a creative. It can feel a bit like shifting sand beneath your feet, but knowing that someone is there for you with faith like mountains can turn shifting sand to the firmness of rock, making each step more stable. While you're honing your craft, figuring out how to navigate the uncharted way, your other is there with love, encouragement, ideas, and support. That's the type of solidity of faith and support I got to witness between Justin and Emily Martindale when they came to sit at my table on Find the Good News. Between the two of them, you'll find a creative carousel of talents. Justin is an accomplished and talented musician, producer, and designer, while Emily is a sought-after photographer and writer. They are both reflective creatives that find a great deal of joy in all the works that they do. In short, they seem to be having fun together, supporting each other's works and building a lineup of services that are helping other creatives bring their ideas to life. At the very heart of their relationship is a desire to help each other breathe life into their ideas, and that energy and support spills off of them in waves. Emily nurtures Justin's passion for music, while Justin actively cheers Emily into new ventures in writing, and on and on they go and grow. In Justin's music and Emily's images, you'll find an expert quality that appeals to the eye and the ear. In Justin and Emily's story, you'll discover good news and perhaps a little song that smiles in your heart. Wake up, it's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear. 
way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy wall of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives. Discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just. coming over yeah it's exciting yeah yeah this is like the coolest place i've ever been yeah come on i love it i'm glad i was very surprised i think most people are because from the road you've got the uh you've got the sign that says for lease for rent it's almost like do not come here Mm -hmm. you know and (laughs) and so when people walk in they're like wait a second what's going on in here I have people who do walk in here literally not knowing that they're looking for something else, but they'll just come in here and they go, what do y'all do? Because I can't tell. Like, they just don't know what Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. That's kind of cool, too. I like it because it seems like it's like an endless source of inspirational stuff to look at. And I I know I'm I'm sure with what you do, it's like you never want to be in short of inspiration for creativity and stuff like that. So having this stuff all around, there's always something to catch your eye to kind of throw you in a direction that you might be looking for. It's kind of like our house. That's how our house is. Yeah. Like how our kitchen and our room is. Is it? We, we just moved. Oh, okay. So y'all live in Iowa, right? We live in Jennings. Let me check something real quick. You're not as say something for me. Check, check, check. That's super loud. Yeah, I just want to make you more okay. robust. He, like he a, and I were walking all over you. So it's just, always a shock because I forget that I sound like a hick. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, my son and I were just listening to uh, a show this morning because we've been having this conversation about how you perceive yourself in the mirror, you know, and there's all this information out there now about how we don't really ever fully see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And they even have one of the things we watched said that there's these theories out there that said you could meet an exact duplicate of yourself and you wouldn't recognize them as you because we really don't see ourselves fully. And I was like, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. It's kind of what you were saying on Megan's uh, podcast about like your image. Yeah. uh, What'd you call dysphoria? Like Like, I I think I have that because I see myself or I'll take even take a picture of myself and I'm like this is awesome and then you see a picture that someone else took and you're like how is that me like yeah. and it just doesn't look at you, look like you at all yeah do you experience this well we're gonna get really just right off into stuff <laughs> I mean you're a photographer and you guys work together I'm sure creatively and mm-hmm. collaborate yeah. together yeah. have you experienced um, people happier with their with their portraits that you take of them now versus uh in the past or is it different like are they less happy not because of the quality of the photo but because of the way they perceive themselves um i think i think they're more happy but and i don't want to sound cocky but i think i kind of tapped into this different realm of creativity 
um, because like versus how I used to shoot. Okay. Um, I didn't really put a whole lot of emotion or thought behind it because I was just doing what I thought was like the standard level of photography. Because I felt like if it if I could make it tangible for a greater, um, like a broader audience, like a broader, like a, yeah. more broad audience, then I would get more work and. I didn't like anything I was doing. I think more than a photographer, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. So it was I was stifling a lot of it. Yeah. So it kind I kind of tapped into a thing where I'm I'm trying to figure out who someone is and creating a portrait that more accurately represents that versus just you know yeah. taking a standard photo. I, I get that. That makes total sense. Uh, but I, I do I. I do have people who are like, I didn't know I looked like that. And it's not that they're complaining or anything like that, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, I wonder about that sometimes because we do a lot, I guess, staple commercial photography where it's just, mm-hmm. you know, headshots of a yeah. team, real basic stuff where they have like a backdrop behind them and, you know, look at the camera mm-hmm. and strike a pose, you're done. It's going yeah. to the website. Yeah. And I, what I find with that stuff is that um, a lot more people than before, and I'm going to say to a decade ago, are pickier about their picture mm-hmm. and i'll take you know different angles different poses but they still feel like i don't know if well, i like this i think it's because they're so used to holding that's exactly what i've been up. saying and I, yeah. i'm that way like yeah. obviously i'm gonna go away because i want the chiseled chin i want right. all of that but it i think it happens more with weddings with their uh, images but i haven't really noticed that they're disappointed it's just more i didn't know i look like that yeah but i think maybe the tone of the image and the mood and stuff they're more yeah uh, I, I inclined can, to love pictures of themselves because you know there's so much more going on that than, makes sense than just you know a bright photo of yeah when it's just them i just yeah. wondered because i have been kind of diving into that psychology i'm going we aren't we haven't changed anything or it's the same formula and i'm going so why mm-hmm. is the consistency of people going i don't, I don't know i want to do it again i want to take it well again. i think selfie culture selfie culture totally i was like yep yeah, you got that's a well because when you take a picture with your phone mm-hmm. you can take angles till you go oh there's the lighting yeah. that's the spot there's my shot mm-hmm. you know tune it yourself to your yeah. taste it's all in real time unlike yeah. you know whenever you go dig through mom's closet and find the polaroids of grandma and grandpa it's like i had one chance to take that picture that's right you know and uh, i always tell emily like you, you say we collaborate i'm more of a cheerleader so she's the one oh, right on. she, okay. she, she's the one inside being awesome and i'm the one outside the window going yeah that's <laughs> true that's <laughs> awesome we you collaborate know? when it comes to music stuff and promo and things like that but but and when it comes to the photo stuff i'm just i have you know <laughs> She has to get me to take the picture of her like nine times because I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm when a he has man. people come through a studio to do a song, their first take he records and doesn't tell them. And usually the first take is the best because yeah. the second take and the third, they're, you're inside your head about everything you're doing wrong. And you yeah. know, he'll play the fir- you know the other takes and then he'll play the first one and he'll be like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, well, it was your first take. So first take's always funny. great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's I find that that's kind of what really gave me the idea to want to do the show and listening to podcasts. I was like, mm-hmm. hey, we need something. I don't need maybe, but I just felt like we didn't have anything like this in the market. So I thought, yeah. well, you know, somebody, well, I'll do it. Let's do it. You know, yeah. I love long form podcasts. Yeah. That, that, that's my favorite kind. Me too, man. I don't want, I do like 30 minute ones mm-hmm. sometimes if I'm just kind of going, hey, I want to listen to get a little quick info, but I prefer the like longer. Yeah. The the ones that I, that I produce out of my studio range from like 10 minute to an hour long. 
But man, when it comes to like what I like to listen to, you know, it's Theo or Rogan and those yeah. kind of guys who just will just go on and on and on and on. I agree. Listen to that over a series of days, you know, mm-hmm. like especially if you have a commute, which I mean, you know, if you're on the road, you yeah, were saying that, that yesterday. Yeah, that's yeah. why I actually started listening to. Well, he he listened to podcasts long before I did. Then it got to where I started travel. I mean, I'm traveling at least twice a month i'm either new orleans houston or austin you know i'm I'm going all over yeah and it's really difficult just trying to like i i get tired of listening to music and i love music but you get to a point oh, where I you're totally like maxed it. out and you can't think of anything of all of the different kinds of music i listen to i'm just like i can't it will think of burn you to out to. it really will and you get sleepy yeah so sleepy, if i'm listening totally, to people yeah. talking it's way better you know it started yep. with me listening to stand-up comedy yeah like on my late night drives home but I can relate to that you know yeah. now i'd much prefer prefer podcasts <laughs> i think i had the same experience my daughter and i had to drive to colorado a couple of years ago and it was Ooh. sort of a straight shot drive and i think you know we were trying to get as far as we could before we hit the you know hit the bed for the first night of the drive so it was like a 15 hour straight area we were trying to get to and that was the music when she'd want to put music on i was like i can't Mm -hmm. i'm just i can drive but that music's subduing me that's it just taking me and it could be any kind of music i can try listening to metal and it just doesn't no it doesn't matter well i think it's because especially if you're listening to music that you've heard you can zone out it's good for your mind to get in those states i think where it sort of gets really gelatinous Mm -hmm. and kind of flowing and music's great for that but to stimulate your brain to look go oh this is something new or i hadn't thought of Mm -hmm. that the podcasts or comedy was engaging my brain differently and i could stay awake for a long time okay story time i had a show in new orleans that i went that i went to and we were i i was like i can make this in in one trip and i'll save i'll save myself my money if i don't stay the night in new orleans so she's like don't do it and i said i'm gonna do it anyway so i I tried to make the drive back from new orleans at I think I left New Orleans at 1.30 in the morning. The show was way longer than it was supposed to be. Oh, so you're coming back home. Cosmic jams lasted way longer. After 1.30. Yeah. So, and I made it to drop off my partner. I dropped him off in Baton Rouge because he goes to LSU. Dropped him off. That whole drive, I'm fine because I had somebody to talk to and help keep me awake. Well, the drive back was like the scariest drive ever whenever you just kind of like, you hit the drunk bumps and wake up. So I eventually found a YouTube video that was nothing but like annoying sounds. Did that work? I mean, I had I had the radio all the way up, and it's like babies crying, oh, car alarms, <laughs> power drills, and I'm just like wide, like I was wide eyed. But I think I was falling asleep with my eyes open. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Because like, and they were coming really fast, so it would kind of startle you every time a new one would come on. Yeah. But that was the only thing that would keep me awake for that drive. And I've, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too that, old for this. <laughs> that is interesting. When, when my son, my youngest son, was born. How many that, kids do you have? I probably? have three. Three kids. Yeah, and one's twenty. Will be twenty one this coming month, and uh, one will be sixteen this summer, and the other one's eight. He'll cool. Be awesome. Nine in November. Or so, but when he was a baby, see, my first two were from a previous marriage, and so when michelle and i decide to have eben you know this is her first go around and i, I was kind of going okay the crying the, mm-hmm. but as I, I was older so i was going man i don't know i don't know if i can hang and so i, I recorded him crying 
on my phone and set it as an alarm to mm. like remind myself to get up at certain times. And there is nothing like a crying baby. It it just stimulates lucid. It I mean, yeah. lucid immediately. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was like, and it was honestly, it's not a good sound. I mean, it's not. No, it's horrible. It's, yeah, it's horrible. I remember. <laughs> it's supposed to be horrible. Well, it was evolved for that way for a reason. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Voyager, you know, it's recorded on that mm-hmm. gold record. And yep. when I remember when I, I heard that, I said, why? Did they put that on there? I mean, I get it, the whole cultural scope of the planet, you know, but I thought that might be a sound that might keep you away. Maybe <laughs> that's what you're it an was. extraterrestrial and you hear yeah. babies crying. What is that horrible Well, sound? if you're out there no, listening thanks. to this podcast, that's not what we all sound like. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, though. I mean, the podcast is a different kind of stimulation, I think. I mean, no, some podcasts do will put me to sleep, but I'd, yeah. stop, I'd usually stop listening to those. I had to yeah. quit listening to Mark Maron's podcast. That would put me to Mark sleep. Mark Maron. He's a comedian. What is his show called? Is it WTF? WTF. WTF. Yeah, I listened to him for a while, but mm-hmm. I kind of got to where I think I maybe hit saturation point with it. It just, you yeah. know, yeah. he calls it with the old, the old standby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he even says it's like one of the oldest podcasts out there. I think. Right. You know, I don't know. Th- th- I'm hoping that, uh, this market will see more and more. I mean, I think it's like anything around here. You just, you gotta wait a little while for it yeah. to yeah. come and through. The- I've seen a few people who have, you know, been inspired by you or, or by some of the stuff that other people are doing. And I mean, it's not a hard thing to do. No. Everybody out there who's listening, get a microphone and a, you know, a Zoom recorder yeah. and just record your talks with your spouse in your kitchen. That's right. You know, it, just do it. Yeah. That, somebody the other day said, called it the Wild West. You know, it's funny how we're leaning back towards audio again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, everything was got to see it, got to see it. That's right. Video, real yep. short videos, and that really, and I get the, I get that. I mean, I still watch that kind of content, but uh, you know, one guy that I listened to, you know, when he said it's the Wild West, he said it's because really, there's a there's a desire. Human beings want this again. They want to listen to talk. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah, want to hear what people have to say, and you can do a lot with the format if you push it. I think. And uh, the thing with like, especially the multiple people conversations, because you have the the monologue podcast, which Theo do the monologue yeah. sometimes, but the ones that are conversational, there's always a table involved. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting at a, yeah. at a table. And I think that as far as like culture, I, I think the table is like the most important thing. I agree. Is the table, whether you're sitting around it talking or you're sitting around it, uh, you know, passing a bottle back and forth or you're eating dinner or or whatever it is it's like this is where all the big talks happen where all the decisions get made is always Mm -hmm. around a table so when you just you influence it by putting a microphone in front of it yeah you know yeah i I think it's like the biggest i think humanity exists around tables yeah it makes sense these are the more the most important conversations it's not facebook arguments and com- or oh, just comments right, right. or opinion mm-hmm. you know your your little two sentence facebook opinion which sure. everyone is so wrapped up in right now but you know we're huge uh i don't know the right word supporters of just having people sit at your table just to talk have yeah. coffee eat dinner you know it doesn't matter even matter what you're talking about it's just kind of getting back to those yeah roots no i agree i i think I really do believe that we can solve a lot of things by gathering at the table and having conversations that aren't, um, well, granted, we're putting this out there to be heard, but in a style that, um, 
isn't meant to be heard. It's almost like, hey, this is a, a private, intimate conversation, mm-hmm. so you can really dig into yourself. And and honestly, I find that when I'm having private conversations, it's when I'm actually more willing to see the other person's side. If I have already entrenched myself in sort of a position, when you're at a table and it's just you and the other person, you can go. They become very human. There's yes. no audience. There's right. no well, who's going to who, are they going to vote for me or are they going to mm-hmm. like my position mm-hmm. more? It's not meant to be gauged that way. And so I can go, well, you know, I can. It just humanizes the other so much. You, yeah. know, you can which have is, civil disagreement yeah. when you're face to face. Yeah. You don't have to agree with the person that's sitting right in front of you. And that's kind of the difference that plays in with social media is you can say whatever you want because you're not sitting face to face with someone. Yeah. But I know whenever I see people being really rude on social media, if they were sitting in front of me, they're no, not going to talk true. like that. Totally true. Now, I will not, I'm not going to lie. I have had experiences recently and I'd say recently within the last year, just a handful of times, maybe not even a handful of times, maybe like a ring finger of times <laughs> where that online conversation escalates and then it actually translated over into the real world Mm -hmm. you know the real world whatever that means but i mean to a face-to-face kind of thing it didn't go like i expected it would and i thought well maybe i thought face-to-face i tried to unwind the online thing and go Mm -hmm. hey maybe if we yeah Yeah. talk together and you see me in my eyes i see you in your eyes you see my family i see your family then we're going to be human to each other again mm-hmm. and not keyboard because it's easy to just be nasty and quirky yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can like tw- tailor your word and go i don't want to say that i want to say this yeah i had the complete opposite experience it, it totally actually went worse mm. and i was like this and it fascinated me and disturbed me to be honest i was like i still haven't quite put my finger on it and I was uh, watching Mr. Robot. I don't know if y'all watch Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. but one of the characters in Mr. Robot said, um, you shouldn't always appeal to a man's better nature because you might find out he doesn't have one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ouch. and for me at that moment, I heard it at the time when I was kind of going to that because I was in this mode of, well, every time you appeal to somebody's better nature, they're obviously going to mm-hmm. reciprocate yeah. and it didn't happen. And I mm-hmm. went, oh wow this is it was a shock for me yeah i learned some things i was like well you know is it what i learned is it worth the risk and my answer at this point right now today is that yes it was worth the risk yeah. even though the problem wasn't solved it was still worth the attempt because because yeah. if i don't attempt it then that's where we just end up polarizing further yeah, yeah, yeah. and further mm-hmm. from people so i said you know what even if this is the way this one went that's just this one person yeah the next yeah. person hopefully there won't be yeah but you know it was just some things i took away from that experience but yeah social media to me just has changed the game i mean we was for communication in general um i don't know if it's been a good thing or a bad thing i think it can be a good thing i i think it's pretty neutral and in my opinion i think Mm -hmm. i think it's just like anything else you can uh, adapt or die kind of in, in, in that world but going back to the the table thing the only other thing that i think about it is that um sitting down is the most non-battle ready position you can be in. Oh, my, yeah. my dad, my dad was military man for a long time, and he was a cop and all that kind of stuff. So we learned all this when we were kids. But sitting sitting down, especially with something in front of you, is like the most untactical position that you can be in. The best one that you can be in is to be standing up in front of somebody. You know, maybe off center if you want to get technical. You want to stay out of his shoulders or, or whatever. So when you're sitting down, you're you're so neutral. It'd be very hard for me to get a fight or flight reaction and really want to, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, conversations lead to physical violence, but, you know, we're evolved 
you know that from caveman days and, and things like that we have especially we as men were built for combat you know and it, it's taken a lot you know thousands of years of dialing that out but sitting down especially with something in between us yeah we're neutral now i can't reach you you can't reach me so subconsciously we're kind of in a passive yeah. position you know and that's interesting because it makes me think about and where do i want to reach you right like i'd rather exactly. reach you in there exactly in heart, yeah, yeah, you, yeah you know so that's is a great way right. to do that yeah. yeah that's the other thing about this format and the table and even the podcast format you know monitoring the voice i thought because I'm, I'm deaf in my left ear so i can only get so much quality you know yeah, yeah. but it, for me it was less about the quality than it was about focus you know by doing that i'm like oh i'm really it shuts the world out at all my whole world becomes who i'm talking to mm -hmm. you know it's not mm -hmm. what's I, for me i have a problem because of the hearing i tend to tune into what's on the right side of my head more mm -hmm. and so if we're out in the public space and i'm at a table with somebody i can't always like zero in on them i'm, I'm my attention gets drifted out to what's going on mm -hmm. over sort of in my right hemisphere so this format for me was great because I go, oh, that shuts that out and lets me get dialed in, I guess, yeah. on the people, which I really like that. So speaking of getting dialed in, I want to jump <laughs> off. It's, it's interesting when I talk to a couple. I've only done it one time before. It was uh, Carl and Chelsea Boudreaux. Yeah. You know, now their story was interesting because... You know, they went to high school together and then they kind of met in high school and then, you know, their path sort of stayed, stayed the same on the same trajectory. And they, they be almost for me, I went listening to them. It was fascinating. It's like, y'all are like one, one person almost, you know, they're, they're different, different people, mm -hmm. but they, they definitely were in each other's little orbit like that. And so I would love to hear <laughs> how y'all's story, even if, if, whether it's the same or different, but like, how did you guys get into each other's oh, orbit? I mean, how far back do you want to go? I'll go back as far as you want. I mean, Justin's I'm, I'm, more, I'm, way more eloquent at explaining things. <laughs> I have like some ADD going on, and I don't know. I, I could I go meant, on tan like a million tangents before I even finish the first point. So I'm gonna let Justin <laughs> take the microphone on this one. He can, he can have it. And I'm happy. I know it. If you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house, things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend Ben Von Duke has started a handyman service and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, 
And those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. Emily, whenever I was in high school, uh, I was a senior in high school, or maybe I was a l- latter part of my junior year. Uh-huh. And Emily's Emily's a year older than me. She was the, a youth worker at the church that I started going to. Okay. So I went to Hamilton Christian Academy. Um, didn't do so well at Sulphur High School, and they uh, asked me to ne- go to leave and not return. Um, so that's what I did. So you were a Sulphur boy then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Long right. story short. Yeah, long story short, they asked me to leave and not come back in the middle of my ninth grade year. But uh, I, I went to Hamilton for a while, um, and just from my perspective, I didn't, whenever I got to Hamilton, I didn't really date. You know, I was a teenage boy. I was interested in girls, but I didn't really date. I was more interested in playing guitar and listening to records and, you know, playing Magic the Gathering with my friends and yeah. just, you know, just hanging out. I, I wasn't uh, very appealing to the average high school girl, I guess you could say. But, uh, you know, I hit my 11th grade year and. You know, I had a, a, a shift in my consciousness in, in that time because up until that point, you know, I was an angry, you know, teenage boy, real angsty and had a lot of problems with people. I didn't really didn't really like girls very much. I, I, I liked them in the way teenage boys like girls, but I <laughs> the girls that I hung out with and stuff like that, they didn't like me romantically, which made me mad. I probably... I don't know if anybody's familiar with this term. At the time, I may have probably been like an incel kind of kind of dude, kind of kind of kind of angry with the way that my romantic life was, and put that weight on the the women that and the girls that were oh, around yeah, me. Oh yeah, like got projected out. I, I projected like, it yeah. a lot. So and that made it to where it was even harder for me to find romantic companionship stuff like yeah. that. But I had a huge consciousness shift in my 11th grade year, and part of that came from reading C.S. Lewis and and stuff like that and and having really good teachers who helped uh, shepherd me towards a certain direction. And I started going to First Baptist in Lake Charles. That was my first like home church. I was like, I need to get plugged in somewhere and find a positive community to be a part of. And that's where I met her. Really? And I met her the first day I went. Really? And it was like a serendipitous and kind of... uh, you know, I was definitely ushered into that because it was super strange. Like my first day sitting by myself, the first person who came and said hi to me other than the pastor was her. Really? Yeah. And I, and I, I'll say it now and it's, you know, back then would have been creepy, but I knew whenever I met her, I was like, okay, search is over. <laughs> so you yeah. felt that special. Oh yeah. Of so yeah. quick backstory with what brought him to First Baptist was he was in, he wanted to be, he was in the band at Hamilton and he didn't get very good grades so the the his teacher slash band director was like i can't let you play until your grades get better i see and he was distraught because all he wanted to do was play guitar so she told him he could come play in the youth band okay yeah so we met yeah now nice the funny okay. story is i am a year older okay so this is his senior year i'm supposed to go to louisiana college okay um i had my dorm assignment uh, like everything was set to go. I was ready. I have a twin brother. We were going to go together. Uh, 
and I woke up one morning and I was just like I can't go it was like a week before I was supposed to leave I can't go. Is, told and my because parents. Of, I didn't. I oh, hadn't met him. Oh, you hadn't met. Okay. I, we hadn't met yet. Okay. So I told my parents. I was like, I, I, I don't know why can't go. And they were really supportive. You know, they were happy. Their youngest daughter was gonna stay home and go to McNeese. So. Uh, but why? I, why did you? I, I have you just no had idea. A like I, I have no just idea. Didn't feel I right. don't know if it was. Um, you know, I was. Uh, my parents were very protective. Uh, you know, I guess they call it sheltered. But I, I don't know if it was fear of leaving home hmm. or what but up until that morning i was excited to go i couldn't wait i couldn't wait to leave home which sounds terrible but i was no, excited I to I experience yeah. the world and everything and then i woke up and it's just like i still remember that feeling to this day i'm not going to louisiana college and i wasn't upset i wasn't depressed about it it was just like this is what i have to do i have to go to mcneese and you know see what they know and uh so that was um it was like earlier in the week and then Wednesday night I go to First Baptist and that's where we meet. Wow. So. And did you have the same <laughs> challenge? <laughs> no. Did you have the same like go, oh, I, this is a special guy though? I felt that. Okay. I, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're going to get married. Okay, yeah. I'm way more reserved and, you know, I'm really uh, collected with my emotions so you just you met him you were like i like this guy he's nice i just i saw him and he was sitting on the floor and we had the same shoes on and so i was like okay well i'm gonna go say hi and yeah you know i hadn't really dated did you always do that to newcomers oh no okay okay i'm uh (laughs) i'm a recovering introvert okay i got i get that Yeah, yeah yeah i uh i didn't talk to anyone i had horrible anxiety and just for whatever reason you know it's just like you said it's like serendipity or Prov- yeah. Providence, I guess, you know. So that's it. it. That's interesting. I love we, that. It was like, especially because we both have extremely uh, introverted personalities. Yeah. Me, me still too. Like, and which is weird because I'm a performer. Are you into en- enneagrams? Well, no, but I'll, I'll tell you what. It, people keep bringing it up, yeah. and so I keep reading about it, and I have it in on my note of things to okay. eventually get into to okay. read about. Because yeah, like uh, half of my podcast clients are like, "Do you do that?" I'm like, "Yeah," and so. Just for people who who, 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 who are out there, maybe brings it up. Yeah. Anybody who's listening, maybe knows what that is. I'm a four with a three wing. Okay, a three wing four. I'll know eventually when yeah, I yeah. finally get. It. Well, the, and but that that particular enneagram is um, it's a paradox because a four is an extrovert and then a three is basically an introvert. Huh. So I'm I'm an introverted personality, but I I do things that are very extroverted. So I'm a musician. I'm a performer. Mm-hmm. I do podcasts. I do stuff like this, and yeah. I, I do art and stuff like that, and. You know, whenever I was in my mid-20s, I went to therapy for a little while to deal with some stuff that had going on. And the therapist that I saw, he kind of was like, the reason why you chose that subconsciously is because it allows you to control the amount of exposure that you have. Mm-hmm. It's for someone who's very introverted. It's like, if you were to call me out in public, like if we were, if I was walking and you were to yell my name or you had, you wanted to start a conversation in public, I'm going to shut down immediately. Immediate introvert mode, you know, run for the hills. But if you say my name on stage, introducing me on stage and I walk out, I'm in extrovert mode because I can control what the audience sees from yeah. me. You just described me in, yeah. in a different way because people who meet me, they will say the same thing. They're like, man, it's so easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. I can open up. And it seems like that's the way I am. Mm-hmm. But I am the same way. I prefer to be introspective, introverted. Mm-hmm. I prefer to spend time 
alone with myself, not because I just love myself, but because I, I like that territory. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that territory, yep. and there's still much to be discovered in that mm-hmm. land. But this is a way for me to kind of this is the amount of exposure I'm comfortable with and here I can be comfortable That's right. uh, with that. So yeah, I get that. It's yeah. like, it's strange. It's like a, I don't know, being Push too different. Pull. Yeah, it's that, it's that weird paradox for, for people. And Emily's the same way, you know? It's a weird kind of, I think a lot of artists like yourself and like my wife and that that's why we do art because it allows mm-hmm. us to Expose. This is such a strange sentence, and please don't take it out of context. We allow it allows us to expo- expose parts of ourselves that we sure that that we want. You know, yeah. I, I don't think anybody ever wrote a song or made a piece of art and and said, "Oh, I didn't do that intentionally. I didn't say that about myself intentionally." Or uh, I think it's always intentional. Yeah, whether whether it's uh, you know extremely conscious or not. You're you're putting something out there for a reason. Yeah, and if it's something that's deep about yourself. You know, you're not doing this on accident. Right. You know, you, you want to let people into your world for some reason. You know, that's a good little track to go down because I've had this suspicion about myself and I imagine maybe you guys can relate to that. And, it, and it's about boundary pushing. Um, because of the introvert, my introverted nature, when I do experiments like this podcast or any other place that puts me in the front of people, I, I tend to want to go, okay, I've done that for a while okay i can go into that territory i want to go a little further mm-hmm. so you push it a little further and then that becomes a, a comfortable place too the only thing about that is i find each time i tend to go further out i, I need a, another side to go into okay. just as far if yeah, that makes yeah, any yeah. sense so if i'm yeah if i'm going i like to take nice quiet walks hey i'm gonna go start talking to people on a podcast well, then I go, hey, I'm going to do the podcast, but now we're doing road trip podcasts where I go mm-hmm. to a new location and it's mm-hmm. a not my comfortable environment anymore. Yeah. Well, once I started doing that, then... You're going to lock I, yourself in the closet or something? I, yeah, right. Well, kind of. It's like, I go, okay, now yeah. I need to go do something it. to go yeah. even oh, further yeah. away right. in because I went further out, if that makes sense. Yes. Mm, absolutely. It yeah. absolutely does, yeah. And that's that's like my, my studio is kind of buried within the bowels of another building to where there's no windows. It, <laughs> yeah. you, ha- you have to walk through three doors in order to get to it and... Like, like it's my my fortress of uh, I get that yeah you know you get to keep going into like your little yep. place mm-hmm. you know what I do, I don't have a place like that but I, I talk about it online a lot I've never really had a conversation with anybody on the show about it but I have what I call I call it my cabin but it's really sort of my mind palace and so over the years I've sort of developed this place inside of my mind where. Um, it's decorated. I know where it's at. And I mean, and it's changed over the years. Yeah. But my wife knows about it. And I said, but yeah, it's my cabin. And, and it's almost like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Yeah. Very small little place. You know, you, w- you would never think of it. But when I go in there, it gets bigger and bigger. And there's all these doors. And so over the years, I've created little cubby holes and spaces. And so I'll go, oh, there's a door. And it goes into this whole other extension of this cabin and that yeah. might be my spiritual room and then there's one where it's my memories of my my mom and dad and so yeah. it's a lot like i guess in, a, in my mind a place like that where i can keep going inside of it do you consciously think when you're going in your little cabin of what what little cubby hole you want to yeah out of? what i've learned to do thing. over the years is live with it for a while mm-hmm. so like kind of build it yeah when i first started out with that it was mainly to help me sleep 
there were certain sounds I knew that comforted me, like the sound of, of wind howling. And I liked, I liked the cold. So this place was in a cold place and it was always kind of a wind howling. The other thing about it that I thought was interesting was that how it would take on its own nature sometimes of its own. Like there were times after a while when I would go into this cabin where once I got in, a storm would sort of kick up outside and the wind would pick up and I couldn't get out. But it didn't have a feeling of I was trapped. It comforted me very much to know, oh, well, now that I'm in here, the storm outside, I get to stay a while. Because if I go outside, that's not safe. It was very interesting to watch that sort of form on its own. And so that became a part of, like, the way it was. Like, once Mm -hmm. I go in, I'm going to be here for a while. It was really just a tool to put me to sleep. So the crackling of the fire in a potbelly stove the wind howling, the chill in the air, the furry blankets, the way it looked would just soothe me. Mm-hmm. Well, then as I started contemplating, how do I get out of this place? I had to, I had to take control of it to get out of it. And so in doing that, I said, well, if I can control that, what can I add to it? So can I just say, hey, there's a door over there that I want to go to this other room. It's just a neat little experiment. And it's still. That's incredibly interesting. It's kind of cool. uh, I can't focus long enough to do something like that. (laughs) Now, listening to you talk about this kind of stuff, you're a very enlightened cat. And I, I I dig that about you. But. From other people that I've met that are that way, and you can tell me if I'm going outside of uh, your comfort zone, that usually that kind of thinking and that, that level of enlightenment and wanting to fix things usually comes from somewhere. It comes from an event or it comes from something. Is there, cause, and, 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 you, and you share yours and I'll share mine because yeah. I'm the same way. I, I, when it comes to myself, I'm a fixer. And I, I've learned that, that a lot of people aren't like that. Yeah. Like whenever we find something in ourselves that we're not happy with or we realize people aren't happy with us for something about us, we're like, okay, I got to dial in and yeah. dial this out or everybody's going to hate me. So I think to answer your question, I don't know if this is the real answer or not, but I, I didn't know if it came from somewhere until a few years ago. And I'm going to have to tell somebody else's business a little bit to share this fully, but I'm just going to say it. I'll say it as light as I can. Mm-hmm. My sister, my dad was in the hospital and we knew he was going to die. And uh, I hadn't seen my sisters in a while, but my old, the oldest of my youngest sisters and I were having a really hard conversation around the corner from sort of the waiting room area. Just, and it was about our father. Just things kept coming up, and we were having a pretty intense conversation. You can see there was a lot of emotion there, and something came up about this cabin. She started talking about, you know, sometimes I just, I just want to get away. I just want to go be on the top of like in the tucked away in the woods in this little cabin. We'd never had this conversation before. And so as she started talking about that, I went, okay, (laughs) we've got something. This is, and as she began to describe this sort of cocoon, this placement of this thing, (laughs) I was like, my sister has formulated somehow with us not communicating, she has got the same device in her head that's formed maybe not consciously but she was describing very similar in similar terms the feeling of safety the feeling of being alone with yourself um, protection from the storm outside um, warmth comfort certain sounds all of that was the same and i told her and i'm I'm, like you said chills like i mean Mm -hmm. this little my tear ducts just opened up when she started talking Mm. about that and i said i have the same sort of thing yeah now what that is I don't know, but I know it's it comes from something with my father, some kind of 
trauma. I mean, I talk about my father a lot on this show. He was a troubled person, but he was also a loving person, and he did the best he could with what he was given. But at the same time, people plant things in other people. Mm -hmm. And I think something about that relationship and the dynamic of it formed this place. And so my thinking was, after I kind of latched on to that realization that it was related to my dad, I was like, well, what if... I made a room in this place that was devoted to my dad where I can go study him, mm. where I can put memories that I have, but then also bad and good, but then also like when I get new information from conversations with other relatives that I maybe don't know, then it'll it's a place where I can put him in context. And that became a tool for like really healing a lot of that stuff. I don't know, does that kind of answer? Do, do, doing that, did, were you like afraid of breaking down the Superman that was dad? Because I think a lot of boys, especially whenever we were growing up, dad is, he's the hero of the story, right? Yeah, my for, dad for, for was some probably the hero, but he was at the same time sort of the, the monster too. Well, and I'm, you know? it's cool to hear you say that because I have two two dads. I have a stepdad. His name is Marty. He's, he was the hero of my family. He came and rescued a, a, a woman with eight children who, you know who he he came and loved all of us you know and he was an awesome dude but my biological dad where i trace a lot of the the reasons for who i am i could trace to him because he was super you know he was abusive he was a womanizer and an alcoholic really you know for the most part probably no redeeming value uh, aside from probably being super good looking uh, maybe you know and he was sexually abusive towards his kids, physically abusive towards his spouse. He, you know, cheated incessantly, usually married the person he cheated on his former spouse with. I think he's on, I haven't seen him since I was like 17 and I think he's on his, maybe his ninth marriage, 10th marriage, something like that. So he was doing that in a serial fashion. Oh yeah. He's just, and and, Hey, you know, it could have been, that could have all come from stuff with his past that I don't, I don't understand. And at this point probably don't really care to, but, you know, ha- ha- having growing up in that kind of environment and then being pushed out of it and then only hearing the stories of it, really, I started to see, I started to see the seeds of some of that that were planted in me. And but whenever Marty came into my family's life and basically kind of rescued us, I'll, I'll say he rescued us probably from complete and utter, you know, destruction. I saw this other guy who was a, a good man. He he cared about pe- kids that weren't his. He treated us like we were his, even though we were you know bastard children. He still loved us, you know. And he was kind of like almost like a messiah figure in that way. You sure. Know? He, yeah. he came and changed our name. You know, he he adopted us, made us his. Which at, at the time I didn't understand how big of a deal that was, and that my mom was getting checks from uh, our biological dad. Okay. And so my stepdad, when he adopted us. It, he he didn't have to do that anymore. The money stops. The money stops. Yeah. And I, I didn't understand that whenever I was a kid, what was going on. I thought we were just changing our name, <clears throat> which was awesome because I like my name now. <laughs> I think Martindale's like the coolest name ever. <laughs> but now that I'm an adult and I understand where I'm like, man, he, he basically paid a debt for us. You know, he, he exonerated a debt for us. Yeah. You know, so I, I saw a huge, I have a huge Messiah thing about my dad. He was such a... Uh, a, a mirror image of that for that's our so family. so beautiful, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I, mean I, I still get choked up thinking about it. I'm 31 years old. I still get choked up thinking about it, you know? You know, that is... Phew, makes me think about my, my wife. I mean, you know, I'm divorced and my children... Um, 
from my previous marriage have had a hard relationship with their mother. But my wife, you know, we don't receive those, you know, funds or any mm-hmm. assistance or anything like that. And, and you know, I, I look at my wife and I think, you know, she just stepped right into that mother role I, long I, ago with man. no just selflessly and yeah. i think about what how lucky they are and then when my son talks about her it's like she's a little like a goddess like really like yeah. he loves her so much and i mean i think he loves her more than me i really do i mean and right. it's okay i'm not saying that like mm-hmm. oh poor me but it, I, i'm fascinated by that dynamic me because too. i think he senses that she i have biology that indentures exactly. me to him, yes. even though my love is real but she made the choice of love mm-hmm. and i'm yeah. like that's a here's a, a difference there oh man i, I totally agree I, I i will officiate some of the weddings that my my wife uh, photographs it's like one of my favorite things to do is to officiate a wedding really and if there is a stepchild involved i i just my heart just overflows i just think that that's possibly I think that, and you know, people can be offended by what I'm about to say. I don't really care. I think that uh, a multicultural relationship, you know, uh, I think that's possibly one of the most beautiful relationships that can happen because of how much reconciliation happens between uh, romantic, physical love between two people of different races. I, I think that that I think that that's a wonderful thing. And then when a person comes into someone's life and says, "You're not my biological child, but I'm going to choose to treat you that way and yeah. I'm going to love you in that way." I think that there's so much reconciliation, there's so much mending that happens, especially for kids. Yeah. Whenever that step parent comes in and just seems to be the goddess or the hero or the most, it's just there's so much healing that happens. I think that's like how you fix the world, you know. Man, I'm you're speaking my language. I mean, really and truly I can't get behind what you just said anymore because <laughs> it's the absolute truth. I feel that way about so many things. I feel that way about even, especially with marriage. Um, when you see two families come from not just two different races or cultures, but even when they bring two religions together oh, mm-hmm. and they, they don't just go, okay, well, we're going to practice dad's religion sure. because, or mom's religion where they go, well, let's, you know, we do a little bit of both and we find the beauty and we share and we intermingle and it just elevates everybody yeah. and everything. And I'm like, why is this hard for us? You think? Why, why is there this this thing in people where we go, like, no? Instead, I don't need to celebrate you. I need to convert you. Oh, well, I think it's you know, tribalism that's embedded sort of in us through. And t- when we've evolved out of tribalism, you know, we, when we've evolved out of natural law of this is mine. If you come too close, I'm going to hit you with a stick and I'm going to kill you. You know, it, when I look around, you know, your room here, you've got you know the crucifix, which speaks to my spiritual language it speaks to my wife's spiritual language but you've also got you know the buddha you've got uh, different hindu artifacts that are kind of around and i think that we as people because we can recognize where we came from when you look back in history but then you look back through science you know we as human beings are the weirdest ape in that we have white eyes okay Mm, so if you you look at any other of our uh, physical ancestors they've all got black eyes because they were they were evolved that way to not give their position away with their eyes so if i was if i'm a chimpanzee and so are you and i see that there's something over there that i want i don't want you to know that i want it i see so 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 i can dart my eyes back and forth to it but because my eyes are black you can't tell what i'm looking at realize that that's new information where we as as this as homo sapien we have white around our eyes you can always tell my position you can see if i'm if i'm darting towards the door if i'm looking towards a person or an object something like that so all of nature testifies to us wanting to be closer together 
you know, you, you being able to see my eyes, you can see my brow, even with this hat on, you can see my brow, you can see my position of my arms. I'm big on, on you know, body language and stuff like that. You, you can see my position at all times, whether it's good or bad. All of nature is testifying to, we all got to get through this together, you know? And I think that part of that is subconscious. I didn't make my eyes white. Nature did that on its own. But a lot of it has to be conscious. If we want to continue to push forward as this human, we have to do it consciously. And I think that one is the one that we fight so hard against our, uh, you know, lesser nature, mm. our, our more, you know, past nature. To fight against we don't need to be tribal anymore we all live in especially here in america we live in the greatest country in the world we we don't have to be tribal anymore there's no we don't need to protect our stuff from other people no one's going to come in here and hit me with a stick and take my food mm. i can just you just go to kroger and buy some you know and that happened so quickly i don't think that biology caught up with that yeah no you know, the, the right. industrial yeah. revolution happened and i mean lightning fast things are changing now technology is so fast that our biology doesn't keep up with the technology that we have it's outpacing us it's yeah out, i've been it, saying that same thing as if we're not that's i think a lot of like um in my age and i'm 45 and i'm starting to feel um the stresses of that and i go mm -hmm. so i don't have a super physical job i have to go choose to do a physical activity right. if i want physical my, to move my body yeah. to say hey, i gotta go to the gym for an hour yeah or, you know then do that like maintenance so the rest of my time is spent engaging with technology and most of the time it's people through technology and that's the thing that i find really fascinating i'm like so i'm this isn't a deficiency to me i'm connecting with you it's fulfilling uh we're having togetherness but through the other forms of technology i'm not feeling that togetherness and it actually creates more stress and i go so mm. i'm not wired i'm not designed my biology doesn't fit with this yeah this is cold this is and it's very inhuman it's taking out the eyeballs mm -hmm. you know just like all that stuff you're exactly. talking about and yes. by removing all of those yes. elements i'm feeling the stress of that literally feeling it in my physical body yeah like there's oh this is hurting well, me and, yeah. and, you, and you can see with as technology te te technologically <laughs> as technology has advanced you see the rise in depression you see the rise in anxiety and attention deficit and all this stuff it's because still our biology has not caught up with the cocoons that we've built you know if we can go watch tv anytime we want we have our little cell phones and we can be kind of more reclusive no uh, our biology still wants us to get together in our with our groups they our biology wants us to go outside and do things and create things and stuff like that which is uh, why you know a lot of psychologists and you know therapists say you know if you need antidepressants we'll put you on them otherwise you need to go out go for a run Mm. Or you need to go out into nature and, yeah. and camp or do something that's outside. Yeah. Get fresh air and vitamins from the sun. The sun gives you vitamins. <laughs> like, does that not blow people's minds? Yeah. And we've not, we've not evolved out of that. You know, even though technology has evolved so much quicker than we have, you're still a human person on the planet who's mostly based in carbon and water. And you still need to go outside and do things for your body to work properly. And I'm happy. I know it. Look, as much as I enjoy talking on Find the Good News about making a change, I'd be less than honest if I didn't admit that change is hard sometimes. I should get more quiet time. I should exercise more, walk more, sleep more. And the one thing that I know I should do without a doubt is eat better, healthier, and fresher. But there's a wide berth between knowing something and actually doing something about it. 
I love to cook, but just like those other should do's, I don't always make the time. This is where I have to tell you about Fresh Fuel because it takes procrastination out of my way. Fresh Fuel is a fresh take on getting healthy, wholesome, and satisfying foods in your life as a kickstarter to critical change that lasts. When you sign up for a Fresh Fuel program at thefreshfuel.com, you'll find tiers for your specific level of can't get up and go. I know I found mine. My friend and founder of Fresh Fuel, Megan Abraham, wants to do one thing and one thing only. She wants you and your family to eat healthier, delicious, home-cooked meals. That's it. With Fresh Fuel, Megan has taken all of the I can't do it out of putting better meals in front of the people you care about. And she's quick to remind that one of those people should include you. Go to thefreshfuel.com and choose the program that's right for you. Megan provides you with the recipes, supply lists, links, videos, goals, and very important here, access to the Fresh Fuel Facebook group where you can connect with other fresh fuelers, real people just like you and me making the same journey. What I love most about meal prepping with Fresh Fuel is that you don't have to do it alone. Megan is right there with you every step of the way making the same changes you are. Fresh Fuel isn't a diet. It's a life change for those of us that just have trouble changing. Since I signed up for Fresh Fuel, I'm cooking more, eating better, and honestly, I'm feeling better too. I believe in Fresh Fuel so much that I asked Megan to offer Find the Good News listeners a chance to try it out at a discount. Just go to thefreshfuel.com, select one of Megan's signature programs, Fresh Fuel 28, the 28 Plus, or the 28 Pro plan, and then enter the code GOODNEWS to get 10% off your program. That's 10% off a Fresh Fuel signature program by visiting thefreshfuel.com and entering the code GOODNEWS. Fresh Fuel has been good news in my life, and I'm betting that thefreshfuel.com will be good news for you too. this i love this conversation because and i'm gonna draw a line back you point that crucifix so that draws a line to christianity Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be honest with you i don't have i mean i consider myself a christian but there are other christians that don't consider me a christian right but i'll be honest i don't have a lot of conversations in this category with people who claim christianity yeah and I don't know why that is because it's a lovely conversation. It, it adds to just a whole other dimension to your yeah. just relationship with creation and a creator. Yeah. I don't know. I just love that. I yeah. mean, it's just kind of for me, it's like I feel like it's a balloon that's just blowing and overflowing like a cornucopia of things you could just continue to dive into in that category. Sure. And, you know, I've got friends who I've got low friends in high places. I, I don't know how you want to say it. But, you know, I, I've got friends who, who make, you know, hard stances of what you're allowed to believe in order to be a Christian and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. I've got some friends who are are on the far liberal spectrum of that. I, I, if any, with anything, I like to try to be in the middle. There are some things I swing right. There's some things I swing left. Yeah. You know, I'm still a person trying to figure things out. But yeah. I, I try to run the road down the middle. It's like, okay, I'll... If you say I have to believe all these things in order to be able to call myself this, I'm going to pick half of them. You know, right, right. like okay, let, let, let's dive into it and figure out which half you're probably correct on, yeah. and then the other side, I'll say let's figure out which half you're probably wrong about. You know? I have a similar feeling. The way I've told some folks is like, yeah, I said you're telling me I have to eat that whole cake, but somebody stuck a razor blade in there. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's every once in a while you get into something and you go, whoa, hang on a second. Yeah, this isn't. I'm stepping on a broken bottle yeah. in this sand pit. All yeah. of a sudden, what is this? You know, right. do I have to keep 
walking on this. Yeah. You know? I, I had a friend in high school whenever I, you know, became a Christian and started wanting to fix things and had that consciousness shift that whenever I told him, he, he said, man, I wouldn't do that. Christians are like ants. And I went, what, what do you mean? He, he was like, you know, uh, ants, all they do is come out of the ground and bite people. And that's why people don't like ants. And I, I was like, man. You know, at the time I was offended because this was a person who was my friend and, and they were kind of judging, prejudging me. But then yeah. as time has gone, I'm like, man, you know, sometimes we are kind of like ants. Sometimes we do kind of just come up out of the ground and bite people and, and people get pissed off and then we go back in the ground. It's like, that's not a good way to live. I, I don't see that anywhere yeah. in, in the spiritual doctrines of my faith. Right. Coming out of the ground, biting people and then going back in the ground. No. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. I, I can see why it, it, it's, it's a very it's a very simple but yet eloquent way this person put it. I was like, okay, I'm yeah. just going to try not to be an ant. Yeah, you don't want to be an ant bed, man. Yeah, I mean, why, yeah no, I like that. I love that actually. Mm -hmm. Huh? So, do you guys share your spirituality and your your are y'all in the same camp? Uh, I'm not really sure. Okay, I'm I, mean, think, a, I, I think I, 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 I want to hear I think about Justin's this. more solidified in what he believes. I am just recently coming out of about a year and a half of being completely atheist so really? i left the fold <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. like and i this interesting i just was talking about atheism this morning mm -hmm. online because i'd be i'd love to hear how you got there okay <laughs> and then how you whatever you're walking away from if, if mm -hmm. that's or how you're moving in a different whatever that is okay the whole <laughs> Let's i'd love I to can, hear that uh, yeah rain this in so i grew up catholic okay um when I was in high school, my twin brother started dating his now wife. They dated all through high school. Um, and she went to First Baptist where Jay and I met. Okay. Um, but they went on a, they were going to go on a mission trip together and I was in 10th grade. So I, my brother was like, you need to come hang out. So I was a super recluse. I had a really hard time in school. Um, extremely antisocial. It was miserable. Uh, I decided to go and I was just sick the whole week before because I was so nervous. I didn't know any of these people. I went on the mission trip, got quote unquote saved. Um, and then I just went to this church from then on. And I, I truly felt, you know. Like a change. Like or something. A, cha yeah. a change somewhat. You know, I already understood the concept of Jesus and there wasn't I wasn't completely solidified in Catholicism but I had a lot of respect for it and I still do um, but uh, I did all the things you know that you do when you're in, in youth group yeah. and had this idea of what you know it looks like when you're a believer a true believer because then I kind of got on that thing that I think a lot of Baptists do of like well if you're Catholic you're not really a believer yeah well on uh, both sides of that story that was, say yeah. the same thing yeah. I mean, no, that, no true Scotsman stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, that, right. that never sat well with me um, so anyways I, I was really felt solidified in my uh, Protestant faith yeah Jay and I met and we continued to go to church and then we ultimately started going to Cell Street, which is where we now go, Cell Street Baptist. Okay. Um, and just recently, you know, like probably two and a half years or so ago, um, I was having a really difficult time with our oldest son, who's now six. Okay. Um, and he just with, he has really bad anxiety and was diagnosed with autism. Okay. Uh, extremely high functioning. Um, they would have called it, it was, Asperger's back it would, in the day. Okay. They, yeah, they don't, they don't technically term. call it Asperger's. It's all under the umbrella that is autism. But yeah. there's so many yeah. main traits of autism that Arthur doesn't show. But uh, 
I had a really hard time bringing him on Sundays. I I just uh, I, at no fault of the church. I just I just wasn't getting the help that I needed, and and I would drop Arthur off at Sunday school, and he would just start screaming and have panic oh, attacks, yeah, and it, okay. it it just became. We lived in Sulphur. Yeah. We were driving to town. It just became pointless. It, it to was go hard. If, if the second yeah. the service started, yeah. I would have to go pick Artie up and. And then it would set the him. tone for the rest I of the day. I would have to you know. buckle him in his car seat and just let him, you know, try to hold him back from hitting his head. And you know that he this was, event, if the more it happens, you're knew, going, this is going to trigger this. Yes, and, and like it would gonna, ruin us for days. So uh, I, I quit going and, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone has their own life. I didn't hold any, you know, I didn't hold my church family accountable for this, but I fell away. I, I didn't have... Uh, a connection with people I felt extremely isolated it's isolated enough isolating enough in my career field because I work from home sure uh, mostly from home yeah. I travel a lot um, you know I don't have a lot of the poster characteristics for at the time you know 20 I don't know how old I was like 28 year old wife and mother uh, I just didn't look like everyone else and I really struggled with that and then eventually you know the longer you're away from something the more welcoming other ideas start to seem and I didn't have any friends and uh, you know I just started getting into listening to Christopher Hitchens Uh, sure I (laughs) Uh, I was reading some of his books and I was like man this this all just really makes sense and I think there was a little bit of anger in there with it as well but eventually I quit reading I didn't want to be swayed anymore yeah I got you by rhetoric I didn't I'm you know I I struggled with that for a really long time if you could present something to me and with really great rhetoric I'd be roped in and I think uh I think my angry atheism days you know I started immediately with that it was amazing to me how quickly my entire faith dismantled when I quit going I mean I thought I was like you know that's completely solidified but when i broke away from it it was just how quickly it, it sort was of so came i up. mean it was so quick that i just remember like i actually remember dropping him off in like uh he was it was like an hour and a half drive i was dropping him off to go play a retreat and i was driving home and i was like looking at the stars and i was like this is all so beautiful and then, you know, I was still wrestling. I was completely wrestling with my faith for, pro- you know, like maybe three. It was like two or three weeks. It was no time at all. And that drive home, I was like, I'm done. Completely done. And uh, I was fine with that decision. Yeah. And uh, I felt some freedom in that. And I, mean, I don't want to talk about my <laughs> time in with, you know, being an atheist as something I'm completely proud of. Well, But it was a very interesting time for me. Uh, so I just didn't really do anything. I didn't pay any mind to you were just you know, living religion. And the, I was just kind of doing my thing. My, our boys were so demanding, and my my you know I was my career was kind of exploding, and so I was just busy all the time. I was like, I don't have time for this, anyways. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so you spent how long of a time period was that? That was. That was uh, probably a little over a year. Yeah. And in that year, I found some of the best people I've ever been around. Some of them are atheists. Some of them don't know what they believe. Uh, yeah. Some of them are Christians, but, you know, they're heavily involved in my life. Um, it was 
a, a sweet time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now looking back, it was a time of, you know, my time of disbelief. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it's uh, interesting. Though. It's, it's, I mean, a, it's a difficult, you know, black and white kind of thing of like, I'm supposed to be on this brighter side. But, you know. So it wasn't so, a dark time for it you. It really, it wasn't. It was nothing like, my life was nothing like what I heard an atheist life was. I was extremely happy. My entire platform for my business and the way I photograph changed and you can actually see that shift in my work Um, I leaned heavily into my artist heart I started doing more things that I wanted I started taking more I allowed myself to take pride in the work that I was doing which is not something I thought I should ever do okay I was working all the time I was doing weddings and shoots for people uh, but I didn't really lean into the artistic side of it um i didn't allow myself to love the work i was delivering um, Is that, and i was losing was joy. that because you felt like you should it was you'd feel like you i felt like it was sinning i felt oh, like okay. i was sinning okay. i was being prideful but i didn't really understand there's there's pride that the bible says is bad but then there's pride of like i put a lot of work into this and i love what i'm doing uh i love the work i'm doing i love making people happy um so yeah in that time though probably i guess about eight months into being an atheist i started noticing that i was i'm a hyper emotional woman like go figure you're a woman (laughs) but i'm really i'm i'm a fairly strong woman I, i i kind of built up the emily that everyone sees today in that year and a half um a little bit more confidence i'm not quite as introverted all of these things started to change and it was like a renaissance for emily yeah um and in that the last kind of leg of atheism for me i realized that i things were making me emotional that it didn't really pick up on before like blackbirds would scatter like out of trees and i would just be like this is so beautiful and i would just cry yeah yeah or you know and and music has all i've always been super emotional about music and not just the words sometimes just a guitar riff will make me cry and i eventually started thinking why why when i was a christian didn't i feel these things and i started to kind of think okay well it's because there's nothing there you know my brain would keep trying to go back to you're equating that you're putting those like it's making a math problem out of it right yes and i was trying to say so yeah i was trying to i found myself trying to convince myself again that there is no god you're just an emotional person and there's beauty everywhere and there is beauty everywhere but um I think you had Justin had sent me a video by an author and musician named Andrew Peterson, uh-huh. and he's doing a talk. I, I think somewhere in, in England, or I don't know, maybe at a church. I but was, I think he was in Oxford doing some. A, no, it's like a C.S. Lewis type. Oh, okay. Conference yes. of like that. Yeah. C.S. So, Lewis is like my favorite dude in yeah. the whole world. You liked the picture I had. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I was stalking you. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Um, in and I I uh, was. T- trying to convince myself again that that god wasn't real uh, everything was making me emotional i you know so justin had sent me this hour-long video and it sat in our 
in our text for a long time before I watched it because I'm, you know, I knew I was still trying to convince, I was trying to convince myself again, I'm an atheist. I'm a hardcore atheist. So you I'm were wanting to like, a, yeah, you felt like by not, I got you. Mm-hmm. The, the atheist, I hear this a lot. I listen to this bishop who talks about it a lot. And he said, you know, in a way where atheism can become your religion. Yeah. Right. It becomes mm-hmm. your, your, you say you don't have a religion, but you end up having right. one. Right. Through. And and that's, that's what I felt like I was trying to hold on to. And so I was trying to convince myself that because I didn't feel the things that other people were feeling in a church service or yeah. through prayer, you know, I felt somewhat empty. I think that's why Justin picked out, you know, I don't know how he even came across the video, but he sent me this hour long video and eventually I gave in and watched it. And he, he's just talking about the art brain and kind of, you know, the art of storytelling. And one line that stuck out to me was, uh, you know, he's talking about, uh, he kind of felt the same way that I did. Like, I don't respond to worship music. I don't want to raise my hands. Uh, but he couldn't understand why the second solo on Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd would send him in an emotional just cry fest, but he uh-huh. couldn't feel that in a church service. And I was like, okay, well, I feel that way. And then the the kicker for me, he said, um, not everything is Christ-centered, but anything can be Christ-haunted. And Christ commandeers, has the ability to commandeer anything he wants for his glory and I couldn't let it go and for weeks I listened to that video and I didn't pick up the Bible I just listened to that video and re-related myself to everything that he was saying and then you know just within a few weeks I was back in the fold and I am still (laughs) it's amazing to me uh, the negativity I did not feel when I was an atheist um, but I still find myself, you know, knowing now that I'm back in the fold, I'm still kind of like questioning everything. So I kind of have something that I think a lot of people don't in that I didn't pick up where I left off with Christianity. I'm starting blank. Yeah. And I have, I think, uh, this really neat opportunity to kind of make it or figure it out myself without, you know, a, a pastor completely only feeding me yeah, what I think you can be an explorer what he thinks now. I need to know. I'm, I'm exploring and I'm figuring it out. And, you know, I look back on it and I've made my best, you know, I'm, I'm about to be 32 and I've only just now within the last year have made good friends. Um, so a lot of, I think, uh, in that time, God kind of like never let me go. He just kind of was using all of those little moments to give me the things that I needed to. You totally just, God, that's so much to unpack right there. Yeah, Man, I'm sorry. No, it's I'm so, so like, awesome. I'm like really proud that. of myself for getting all of that you out. Said I'm not something crying. that just like is so powerful. And I mean, if I could go into it for a minute, for mm-hmm. me, it just nails where I think I maybe am at. Mm-hmm with being a christian if i want to say christian call myself a christian is mm-hmm. you said christ haunted everything can be christ haunted yeah. and I, I try to have this conversation it's hard to you can get off into some really you know wonderland territory but like even the decaying leaf on the ground is christ mm-hmm. haunted you know it's imbued with to anything that is to me in creation and going through the process of being born and dying which is really the process of just life is Christ haunted. And, and if we can, if we begin for me anyway, and the way I have tried to live is if I can get myself to a place where I can see that 
everything changes. Mm-hmm. Then everybody is that way. Mm-hmm. Then every mm-hmm. then you said, you know, God never let me go. Mm-hmm. He can't let God can't let you go. in that in that perspective of right. everything Christ haunted, God can't let you go because yeah. even when you feel like you're separate, you're not. Right. You're, you're mm-hmm. completely permeated by it, it, yeah. the whole incredible. <clears throat> the whole faith is just being chased by ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, even whenever we look at the book of Acts, it says that, that the spirit fell upon them. It's like we're just being chased down by a ghost all the time. And the thing that, you know, some people get up, not up in arms, but, you know, have opinions about stories like this. It's like when you read the Bible, you know, the Bible is a very big book, but it covers a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stories are really short and they kind of start and stop with no explanation. So, some of them don't even, they, they just kind of start in the middle. Like, you know, you take a, like Jonah, Jonah kind of just kind of starts in the middle and then it just ends, you know, with, <laughs> yeah. with no, with no real explanation. So you have these lives that are kind of just, you're getting snapshots of these people's faith in their life and stuff like that. You're getting a snapshot of Abraham's faith. Abraham was super old. You don't see his entire walk. You know, you, you don't see where he had marital, you know, maybe had marital problems with his spouse and they had to deal with stuff. You never saw maybe the period of his life where he wasn't super happy with his kid and maybe didn't, you know, want to hang out with him too much. You, you don't, you don't <laughs> see that, you know, the times where Abraham had a stomach virus or, you know, you know, you, you only see these really small snapshots of the stories that are meant to teach you a lesson, you know, or if you go back in Genesis and you can interpret Genesis however you want, it's none of my business. How I have my way, I interpret it, but it's just a small snapshot of things that are trying to tell you something, but you have to sometimes remind people it's like even if you look at you know Saul Paul you know you only get a snapshot of his life so to be to look at someone like like you know I think we're all on the same page with this like some people would look at my wife and say well then you never were <laughs> right you know, you know right, and, and you're not right. now because of these things it's like you don't right. you don't see the, you you get to see the whole story of her life right because you're in it but when you look at back at the scriptures, like you don't see their whole story. You only get to see the part that you're meant to see to teach you something and then move on. And then the other part of it, it's like the only spiritual salvation story, the only supernatural salvation story that's in the Bible is Saul because he was a terrorist. I mean, he he, pro- sure. he, I mean, he probably he, looked like ISIS at the time. To he was, those people. To yes, those that's people. Right. You know, he was yeah. going around and cutting people's heads off and crucifying them. He was a horrible, horrible. And he met, you know, a spiritual embodiment of Christ in, in the road, but anyone else before the apostles, Jesus just went, Hey, you're going to come follow me. And they went, all right. Right. And they put down their nets and they did it. It wasn't like, okay, now the fire is going to come down and it's going to burn you. And then a ghost is going to come out of the sky and attack you. And you're going to, you know, like there's no, like this crazy, you know, comic book <laughs> right. scenario. It, it was, you're coming. Okay. Right. You know, because I think the biggest thing was that Jesus showed us where our, mental and spiritual state affects how we treat people mm-hmm. you know whenever people whenever he says when you hate in your heart you've committed murder against your brother it's yeah, like right, it's like what's right. he trying to am i really killing that person no you're not but in, in your mind where's the battleground where's the yeah, battle exactly though, yeah right? you're, you're you're killing that person in your mind by saying i'm going to hate them now there's no love there's no relationship with this person. You might as well just stab him at that point if you're not going to choose to find common ground and empathy and love for each other. Yeah. It's like, dude, what? Like, I know. It, it, yeah, man, that's actually just, I'm, it, I'm loving this conversation because this is where I want to live. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I really do. I want the whole world to be like this, like mm-hmm. every encounter to be like this because 
it's what you said earlier. We're designed. It, they're telling us you're designed for the other. You're designed to be in relationship with yeah. the other. Your survival is critical mm-hmm. to the well-being of the other. Yeah. You know, but we 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 as humans want to go. Oh, I got. I've got to protect myself. Yeah. But what what that is saying is going. No, consider the other. Mm-hmm. Always consider the other. What 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 is yours? Half of it belongs to the other. I just say, yeah. what? What does that mean? Right. What does that really mean? Like on a deeper level. Yeah, I almost feel like you know Jesus was onto something of like, here's all the things about you that kind of come from, you know, in my opinion, original sin is just how we were before we got to this level of consciousness that we're this dimension that we're in now. You know, we're up. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't know the number, but as far as consciously of the dimension that we're in, you know, we think different than a dog. So we're in a different, you know, dimensional plane as far as thing because that's very Hindu. Like <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it is. It's very Hindu. I mean, yeah. They talk about the animal states. Yeah. You know, and that human beings come through these different states where there's a state where in the animal state it's all about your next meal. And not getting you know, eaten. Right, not yeah. getting right. eating and, and hey, attacking this and blood mm-hmm. and like nature being red and tooth and claw. And right. as you evolve through the states, eventually you get to be a human being. Yeah. And when you become a human being, then you have the opportunity to move into uh, right dimensions, Christ dimensions, things like yeah, that. Yeah, but you, but you can also go down, you know. Right, right. And I, and I think he was just trying to keep us from going down. Yeah. And because if if we all decided to be animalistic and tribal, this whole place is going down in fire and blood. Are yeah. you kidding me? Well, I mean, you know? we can see that happen. Oh, absolutely. In the world. I mean, yeah. turn the news on and we can see it. Exactly. Right? You, mean, you see it in big, grandiose ways, but when you do it person by person, when we decide to act that yeah. way, you see, you know, relationships get torn apart. You're going to end up getting a isolated and then people end up doing things that they probably never thought they would have done. Well, I mean a lot like the story you talked about with your your biological father. Sure. You know, I mean he it sounds to me if you look at it from that perspective and in a way it gives you an opportunity to almost forgive him yeah. by looking at it that perspective yeah. and go well he's in one of, he was in one of those states. Yeah. He was in that state of is almost an, an animal state, sure. right? I mean yeah. just cyclical. Yeah, absolutely, but but I think the thing that that the Bible and Jesus does, it puts the responsibility on us to say, you know, I'm going to do my, he says, I'm going to do my part, but you have to do your part. Yeah. You know, it, when he says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. I think the biggest, that what that means is you're going to, you're going to have to try. Yeah. Because like I, we were just talking about uh, earlier, you know, it's conscious effort to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To get around a table and discuss. It's a conscious effort to eat with people. And, you know, it's a conscious effort to not want to be tribal and animalistic with you know with the way that you behave yeah i love this i love y'all stories i love i do i really like you know i'll tell you like there's one thing to be completely in total solidarity with each other where it's like well i'm a catholic and you're a catholic or i'm a buddhist and you're a buddhist and we are we believe the same thing and we practice the same thing and i see a lot of people like that and there's nothing wrong with it but y'all's story is so interesting because you know I ask you, are you, you know, mm-hmm. do you have the same? And then just I know the look on your face is like, well, and then your story yeah, is there. different. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. honest about it. You go, no, I, I haven't had the same journey as my mm-hmm. husband. And yeah, we're together, but I have a completely different story to tell. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love I, that y'all I think have it's a, harmony a together. testament, at least on a, a micro scale, I think it's a testament to how we should all be with each other yeah so the way my husband had complete respect for me whenever you know he knew i was wrestling with my faith uh i don't know if he thought that i was gonna go all the way you know to the opposite end maybe he saw it coming but to his patience 
and you know he he wasn't pushing to bring me back i mm-hmm. guess but i think it's because ultimately he knew that i you know that i was gonna come back around because he knows my heart he knows me better than anyone in the entire world um but just his level of patience and the the subtle ways he would bring things up in conversation or you know i would try to tell him something you know we would have deep intent you know we always talk about our kitchen talks on yeah. on facebook how we should record them as podcasts but you know a lot of, a lot of late night kitchen talks you know where i would bring up pigeons and we would have these incredible discussions about you know these really deep and intense really good points that these you know cornerstones of atheism you know these pillars yeah. these men would bring up and we would talk about them and you know we would we wouldn't it was never an argument it was just like this amazing and sweet yeah. time that we would have to just work you know he was right there in it with me working it out and, and how, i think that's how we should be with others oh well, yeah i mean how beautiful and lucky are y'all to have that in each other i mean i i don't always see that in couples at least with the parts that i get to see or even the parts i get to hear about um they don't not everybody's got that kind mm-hmm. of friendship in their partner or, or a desire to even have those kinds of conversations with their partner mm-hmm. you know and it's nice that you have that within your home to access i, I have conversations like that with my wife and i would say that's probably um my greatest attraction to her is that she can have those conversations we don't see eye to eye all the time Mm -hmm. on everything um spiritually and and our religious interests are different but when we have places that are common you know we come together on those things and the other places we discuss them you know sometimes i don't agree maybe she doesn't agree with Mm -hmm. me either or I'm interested in something she has no interest in at all or studying, you know? But so. I think that's the the beauty in marriage. Yeah. You know, you, you should be able to have some some differences, you know. You never have anything to talk about if you just agree yeah, right. 100% of the time. You'd be on the same plane, you know. Yeah. But. yeah. Well, and so that's a good segue into... So you have a love of music, obviously, and then you're a photographer. Yeah. I don't know where to even start. Like, those are two different paths. <laughs> I was wondering yeah. how this was going to go in yeah. conversation. <laughs> yes, that's why I brought up Carl and Chelsea, because those those folks, you know, y'all know Carl and Chelsea Boudreaux? I do not. So, so they own Stellar Bean and the Yoga Center. Oh, okay. Okay. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you've got a path like theirs where it's like, yep, yeah, met in high school. I was interested mm-hmm. in Zen Buddhism. She was doing yoga. She got me into yoga. We started doing yoga together. Now mm-hmm. we own the yoga center. Now we own the coffee shop <laughs> together. And I mean, that's a lovely, beautiful, like, thing, you know? And so I go, that, but that's a easier story to tell than two people you know in at a table together so you know you've got music you got mm-hmm. photography where does that begin and do y'all ever use those things together we do use them together well, she takes all my pictures I do. <laughs> okay well there you go <laughs> it, well an, an interesting dynamic is that you know one of the selling points of his production studio is we can offer ah, you know yeah. band from you know it's kind of like a an upsell you know it's yeah. like we can hey if you need photos Come on through. Martindale you know, Media, we can do right? That makes sense. Okay. Video. Yeah, and we actually just kind of solidified that, you know, yeah, a few like years that. ago when we decided to kind of offer our services, you know, yeah. and work together. And it's not very, you know, it's not very often that we get to do that kind of stuff because local musicians don't have a ton of money, which is understandable. But uh, you know, we we work really hard to get musicians what they, you know, what we feel like they need within reason of their budget you know so that and i'm happy 
You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at asapglassco.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at asapglassco.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to asapglassco.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's asapglassco.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. I've probably told more bands, I've probably hurt my business more than anybody in the whole world. And I tell probably most bands, learn and do it yourself. <laughs> Make your own records, dude. Like, if you can't afford to pay a full feature studio, here's a here's a kit you can buy. Go do it, man. Learn, yeah. figure it out. You know, because right. that, that's what I did. I started recording my own music whenever I was twelve years old. <laughs> you know, started with the you know the long computer microphone. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, with your webcam. I had one of those, and I had a crappy desktop PC in my room, and I, you know learned how to piece together songs and those I, songs still exist i still have them really yeah, yeah they're on an ipod i don't have a cable for you know the old wow. an old ipod yeah. that you can i could plug it in and take but the, the the point is it's like i probably hurt my business more than anybody just going learn how to do it yourself i can it, relate it, to it'd that be more, yeah. it'd be more rewarding for you to do it yourself you know because all my records I, I do myself you know and i've had not to you know sound cocky but i've had offers to go work with big nashville producers for stuff and told me oh we'll get you a hit song and a record deal and stuff i was like i just don't find that to be probably the most fulfilling thing i could do mm-hmm. rather than get in the room get in the the dungeon by myself you know my my three degrees of separation from the outside <laughs> world and 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 bang out these songs by myself or maybe get a couple of friends in there and help me out and stuff like that like yeah i don't know i probably hurt my career i understand that i mean i, I won't segue into myself about this too much because i've talked about it before but i i've got the same attitude about what we do you know i i feel like most of our clients that hire us are people 
that just don't want to do it. That's ultimately, and I don't yeah. mean that a bad mm-hmm. against them. Nope, I mean, nope, they nope. just, they go, hey, we don't want to do this. You do it. We don't have time for it. Got it. But there yeah. are other people that I, I can tell when I get in a relationship with a certain client where I'm going, eh, you really need to be doing this yourself. And you're, you could do this yourself. Yeah, you're really equipped. Yeah. yeah. You can do this. You just, you're one step away from just doing it. I don't know why um, you, you you can learn it the same way I did. I mean, now you really can. I mean, 10 years ago, maybe not. But now you can go online and find out anything. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes, 30 minutes, you're done. That's it, man. You're done. Yep. You, you can start working on that. So I get it. And I've hurt my business, too, in that regard, I would say, because there are people that I sit with this table and I say, uh, I, you can hire us. I'm just telling you, you don't need to. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is sometimes kind of feel bad sometimes yeah. for saying that. But like, how much return have you had on stuff like that where you're just honest with people like that? Because I've had some clients that I'm like, you guys are so equipped. Just go do it. And they almost kind of like want you more just from you being honest with them. You yeah, know? that's true. That has happened. You know? ha- that's happened recently <laughs> where I was like, I just go, man, I really don't need to do this project it's really going to just add something else to my plate and i they they really need to do it themselves and i'll try to encourage with it just same thing you said it's like we don't want it we want you to do it yeah i get it y'all encounter that he he knew (laughs) probably from when you finally figured out how to play that that's what he wanted to do for his entire life i mean before Hmm. we met his plan was to move to athens georgia which at the time was like the hub for singer songwriter uh, development. Yeah. His brother lived there, so he was going to go move and live with his brother. But we met, and I kind of wrecked that for you. It's okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's how life goes. Hey. Even when we did this, I mean, you know, I could be working somewhere else and doing something else, maybe the same thing for somebody else, but circumstances were what they were how things form is how they form sometimes mm-hmm. and that's our story too i mean it's like hey that's the way it went and that's yeah. what i'm fine with this life yeah, absolutely have, you know yeah yeah i get that i think photography is a lot different though because it's kind of hard to take pictures of yourself <laughs> <laughs> so how does so that so you with photography did you always know you want to be a photographer I, or did that start i never knew what i wanted to do i don't have like a story when i was younger of oh you know, I don't have like this Polaroid romantic thing. Like that. That, well, there is some level of this romantic kind of thing with a camera. That sounds so bad. There, There's kind of like a, a magical little component to my story about how I got my first camera. Okay. But growing up, I never had like a vision of what I wanted to do. I just kind of coasted through middle school and high school. Never really thought about okay, well, at some point I'm going to go to college, maybe, I guess. I don't know. That's what you do. Uh, And in fact, I started McNeese in the art department uh, in art education. And at the time I was like 109 pounds and I'm a really short woman. And just so many people kept telling, I wanted to teach high school art. So many people kept telling me, no high schooler is going to take you seriously. Are you kidding me? Like, think about where you'll be in four years when you graduate. Like, you're just, no one is going to take you seriously. So I took that of like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to change my major now. In which case I switched to photography. And it's really interesting because, and it's nothing against McNeese Art Department. Oh, it's raining and this is just like speaks to my soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't have, it's really interesting. I didn't have the art department experience that Megan Green had okay and I was just so enthralled listening to her her podcast Um, my sister graduated McNeese a few years 
before me in the art department and she had that experience um, mine was a little bit more difficult and I don't know if it was just like uh, the, I think it was just a pocket in time for the photography thing I, I yeah. just didn't really relate I already had a dark room at okay. my house um, so that wasn't like an exciting experience it really, you it really had... wasn't I had a really hard time during critique and it, it just kind of felt a little crushing mm. um and even at that time, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a photographer. Like, I, it just still didn't occur to me that people can do that for a career. Uh, and so I switched to sociology, not really knowing that if I huh. want to do anything, really, if I really want to do anything with that, I have to go back to school. I don't like school. I Now, looking back on it, in my, you know, I'm an adult, and I just... Uh, looking back on it, I'm realizing that so much of my struggle in school, I had to push so hard. I had ADD and I didn't even know it. Oh, really? And Did you find struggled. that out later? I, I have only recently kind okay. of deduced this. <laughs> um, but uh, it, yeah, it's super interesting. But I, I didn't have fun in school. I, I graduated, but just barely. Okay. Uh, and then I graduated and I was just kind of like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I just kind of worked odd jobs. My parents owned their own business for, gosh, probably close to 30 years. Uh, and so for a little while, I just did office work for them. And yeah. when we got married, I took a little job at CVS. And Were you content? Uh, Yeah, I just kind of was like, I don't really, I still didn't even have like this anxiety or push to like, oh, I need to figure this out. I never really felt that. Uh, and then I just started to notice, you know, through ever since my senior year in high school, I was doing photo shoots for people and it okay. just progressed. And it, it, even with that, I never thought, oh, this should just be my career. Uh, and then ultimately I realized I was having a hard time balancing working a full time office job at a place here in Sulphur and trying to do housework and we didn't have kids yet you know trying to do housework trying to find time with him and photo shoots and I just couldn't balance it all and one sure. day I was like hey I think what do you think if I just quit my full-time job you know somewhat newlyweds <laughs> right. hey I think I'm just gonna quit my full-time job and you know go out on a limb here and so I did that and <laughs> you know it was it was interesting but uh I got my first camera from my dad it was uh -huh. his uh film camera like a fully manual yeah. film camera and i was uh 13 years old and it just i don't know if he gave me that camera because maybe he saw something in me some potential or maybe i was just getting on his nerves and he just needed to give me something to do uh but here's a camera but here's a camera and he's you know spent a little bit of time teaching me how to use it and i still have that camera i was gonna and, ask yeah <laughs> yeah uh and it's it just like that it's funny to me that tiny little moment in time I just have such a vivid memory of and I don't have a very good memory but I remember that and you know I just was never able to put it down you know I kind of dabbled in other things after the camera like I my dad bought me a, a Philly horse and yeah. I trained her from square one and that was before YouTube and at that time I thought oh I'm just going to be a horse handler and yeah. you know, I'll, maybe I'll do rodeo. So you, know, so you were in that stage where it's like hey I'm place. interested in this I'm doing this maybe this is my thing. It was yeah. like kind of a searching seeking. Not necessarily career driven just you know because I was so young I never I just never really thought about anything I never th thought oh I'm gonna have kids one day or I'm gonna get married you know it's yeah. like, I didn't date anyone like I my 
uh, last boyfriend before him was like in 10th grade for a few months. Like I just didn't So this really, wasn't something like you just sat down like a list, of, list of goals, career no, choice, husband, no, kids. No, that's why it's so funny to me. I just didn't really, I, I just didn't care. It wasn't even that I didn't care. It just never occurred to me that I should probably have a plan like I, I remember taking the ASVAB thing you know like, yeah yeah to try and help you figure out what you need to do and I don't even remember what my result was but when I was taking it I was like none of this matters like <laughs> and it's really funny um if I can get deep for a no, second please so um it. a few weeks ago we were in Colorado Justin uh, photographed an elopement and Justin officiated and I took a photo of Justin looking out at the mountains and I made a post about it because I was like, oh, I snapped this photo real quick of Justin. I, just, I he super regal because he just always looks like he's deep in thought because he is. And uh, I wrote about how I was like, you know, looking on the ground for rocks because I collect rocks. And uh, it just like dawned on me like that is like that moment in time is us in, an, in you know, to a T. Like he is always looking out to the horizon, figuring things out. And me, my entire life, I'm just like looking at the ground, you know, kind of focused on what's right here in front of me. Yeah. I don't really think a whole lot about down the road or... Reminds me of a lyric from a Sting song. <laughs> it does. Have y'all? What's the song? The lyric goes like this and stuck with me years ago. It was, uh, he says, oh, how does it go? Um... I woke up this morning. It was like a veil had been removed from before my eyes. It was the first time I saw the work of heaven and the line where the hill is married to the skies. Oh, mm. snap. And it's like, I, I love the part about where the line, the line where the hills are married mm -hmm. to the skies. It reminds me of what you're talking about. You know, mm -hmm. you're looking here and then there's this, but that's yeah. a great, but that's a beautiful yeah. thing. I mean, where they're we married were, together. Right, you know? right, right. We were in the mountains. I've never even seen like a, a decent amount of snow. And we're in the snow and the mountains. I've never seen mountains. And like, like I'm looking at the ground and it's, it's just kind of like symbolism for who we are, are yeah. as individuals and as a couple, you know, as Where a, were we all at? Couple. I'm just curious. Uh, Breckenridge I mean, and okay. uh, we were in Denver, Red Rock, or, Denver, Denver, Red Rocks area. Oh, Red that Rock, moment yeah, we were yeah, at yeah. like Lookout Mountain. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mountains are just, you know, they'll, they'll take now, you, they'll I mean, take now you away. Now I understand yeah. what people say. <laughs> I have like the understanding what it means when people say the mountains are calling. So I, I roll my eyes at the like. Like any kind of little, you know, saying like that, they just irk me. And but now I'm like, I I get it because yeah, it kind of places like, you in the perspective of, of like the scope, right? You know, yeah. we can lose scope. We can lose a sense of scale sometimes. I think in this world mm -hmm. where it's like cars and streets and lights, and if that's sort of your path most of the time, but when you get in the mountains or a canyon or something bigger than you, you just it, I find that it just I like. I like my tiny speckness in that. So I'm, I like the way it feels mm -hmm. to just be like, wow, I just small. got really small yeah. Yeah. and yeah. inconsequential. And that could be depressing for some people, but I've, I've found it to be a beautiful thing because the sense of self sort of disappears yeah. a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, like one of my, my favorite, uh, I, I love the Voyager. You mentioned the Voyager space probe. Like that's one of my favorite mm -hmm. things in the whole oh. galaxy, you know, uh, <laughs> If there's a documentary, I'm going to watch it. If there's a book, I'm going to read it. Yeah, you know, it's I'm obsessed with it, and that that just makes you feel microscopic. Oh my know? gosh! Especially whenever it turned and took that last photo before it it got out of out of reach like that. That idea of there's this you're that speck of dust. Yeah, actually, your planet's that speck I mean, of dust. You know. Yeah. 
You it, sobbed. I did. And yeah, it's understandable. There was a, really, I know a newer documentary. The BBS one that came out. Yeah, that oh was really gosh. good. Oh. Yeah, because yeah, I know what you're talking about. My son and I, he he's into that. And we... <laughs> Uh, I love that he's into that too because he get, last night we went out and looked at the stars and it was kind of muggy and cloudy and he was like, "Can we just stay a little longer?" And I was like, "Okay." And it was really late and I was like, "Man, I'm tired." But I said, "Okay, well, let's stay." And it did clear up and then he was just sitting there on the app going, "Well, there's this star and that star." And I was like, "I love having a little kid that like really cares about this because it, it yeah. makes me look up." And you, you know, give into those things always. that your kids like and. I, yeah, I think that's that's amazing. But he, we did watch that Voyager documentary, mm-hmm. and I was like, I love, I know what you're talking about because they talked about it, and that where he's yeah. like, "Now turn back and take the one blue dot, this the blue yeah. dot yeah. picture," you know. I was yeah. like, that is pretty wild. Carl Sagan, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely, never another like that. That's a, this is interesting. So you <laughs> now, so we've went down photography path. Let's go down music path. It's funny to hear tell that I've you know I've heard that story and it's funny because we we say how kind of like the same but different that we are like yeah I, I knew from a very young age almost exactly how life was gonna go yeah because how old like give me a number okay like, uh, th- this is probably gonna you're probably not gonna believe me whenever I was five years old I told my mom that I knew I was gonna be the dad of a special needs kid. You told really. Uh, my mom can attest to this being. I, I told her. I said. I said. I know. I know that that I'm made for that. Interesting. And I let that memory go out of my mind. You know, as I grew up, uh, and uh, now our second son, John Henry, he's diagnosed. Um, you know, he's got an intellectual disability. So they probably would have used the word retarded back in the day. But really? they, they, don't, they don't use that word anymore because of it's become an offensive. You know, it's become an offensive word. So they say. And uh, we just like a, a year ago, Emily came in like she came barging in the room. She was like, "Do you remember what you told me? What you said when you were five years old?" And I was like, "What are you talking <laughs> he about?" To, he used to tell me the strangest things yeah. when we were dating, and I would always be like, "Oh, that's not." Yeah, I told, I told her we're, we're not dating. gonna have kids. You know, when we were when we would when we were dating and we would talk What's about stuff like that, I'd say I just have always felt like I was built for being the dad of mm-hmm. uh i don't want to say handicapped but a, a special needs child and she was like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard and then whenever it finally like dawned on us that mm-hmm. she was like it it happened dude mm-hmm. like exactly how you said it would it, it happened and i'm not saying i'm clairvoyant or anything like that but i just i you're wired i, I think i just yeah. have a very i know myself pretty well and i think part of that came from having asperger's as a kid and probably still having traces of that uh, i'm very in- inward focused and i know a lot about myself i knew growing up playing music that i was never going to be able to submit to uh, workplace authority mm-hmm. i just knew that about myself i was like i'm just not i'm not good at it i'm not built for that if somebody tells me to go left i'm gonna go right just mm-hmm. I, I just knew that personality in myself and that led to a very tumultuous time of trying to hold down straight you know nine to five jobs you know, working in the cable industry or working in the car industry, I, I just I sucked at it, and I'll and I'll admit to, I'll I'll apologize to anybody now that I may have worked for. Just I was a hard person to work with, because I just I knew that personality in myself of I wanted to, I guess maybe it's it's maybe it's a men thing that we want to blaze trails, you know, and we want to either be the leader or we want to be we want to. I wanted to be uh, an explorer, you know. I'm built for <laughs> explore. I'm built for for war, Oren. Like this I got is, you. Yeah, you know, this nine to five stuff just wouldn't cut it for me. So I knew whenever I was in high school, I was like, somehow, some way, I'm going to end up doing music for a living. Because so I feel like it was, it was the thing where I was. It sounds terrible. I was the boss, but I also got to be Lewis and Clark. Yeah, you know. I get you. You know what I mean? I got to be. Carl Sagan. I got to be uh, astronaut Scott Kelly. I got to be the trailblazer. 
you know i got to be those people through my art because i was the one in control of the of where it was going yeah you know no, it makes sense it does it makes a lot of sense i, I that part you're talking i can relate to a lot of that because i've got the seeds of dissent in myself mm. like this <laughs> re- rebellious streak and my wife would attest to that i said you know hey man your last name's on the building you can do whatever you want yeah well <laughs> and it's like you know that that feeling of um i've never been okay with somebody just for anything whenever what it is just going well that's just the way it is. Oh man, yeah. yeah. I'm like, really? Is yes. that really? Oh, and that man. that immediately yes. for me would spark. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna go start scratching the paint off of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna see what this. I'm gonna see if there's gold under here. Or yeah. if this is just tin because mm-hmm. I don't know about that. And, and I'm I'm drawn to to leaders, not bosses. You know, the, no, the, that's great the, way the, to the, put that. The, right. the, the, the men that I cleave myself to are men that were walking ahead of me going going sure. like going like not not this is how it's always been but let's go find how we're going to do it i'm like yeah. i like that guy see and that that kind of might get back into some of that cabin stuff for me because i'm hearing you say that and i'm thinking about what you said earlier and i'm going well right there I, the word victim like just popped in my head mm-hmm. if you have ever been a victim of somebody else's behavior for a prolonged period of time uh, I think it creates, and then you then you get rescued from victimhood mm-hmm. by another figure yeah. that takes you out of it. You, for me, the other figure then becomes like, oh, this person is the better version. Yes. This person is the leader. Mm-hmm. I want to be like that. I don't yeah. want to ever be a victim again. And then rebellious streak right. immediately, exactly. Because then anytime somebody puts their boot on your neck. Even if it's for your good, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's for your good because you're going, no, I've had, I've had a boot yeah. on my neck before. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It's that fight or flight response. I've got that. You know, that like is so just, in me. Yeah. I can't even tell you. It happens all the time. I can see it. And I'm not going to say it's always good. No. I mean, sometimes I have that reaction when I shouldn't. Sure. And because, I mean, I, it's like that kicks in. It's like an old trigger. And mm-hmm. I go, I'm, I'm rebelling for no purpose here. Yeah. I could go along and it would be fine. It had no consequence, but I will take the left instead of the right yeah just just Just. for the sake of uh not (laughs) submitting to that authority yeah it's strange so so i I knew for a long time that that was going to be very hard for me yeah Uh, and also i'm not i'm not an extremely emotional person i'm much more logical of of a person which you know would lead me into conversations with people where I would try to be logical, but they're emotional. And now, mm. I'm, in, now I'm in trouble because I'm supposed and to... And you don't know why you're in trouble. I don't know why I'm in trouble. Uh, you know, all I did was state facts, and now you're mad at me because uh, uh, I said something, you know, I probably shouldn't have said or something yeah. like that. You know, and, you know, I learned that very quickly. And then what ended up happening was I was working for a company, and this uh, company decided that uh, they were going to sell this they had this huge billion dollar you know deal they were they were selling this company to another uh one out of out of the country and with my position that i was i was an inspector for this is this particular company and they said okay you can have a choice you can either quit or you can do this horrible terrible no good very bad job Mm. you know and it was like that's two options that's that's what they said those are your two options which one you want to do and at the time i didn't realize what they were doing they were Mm -hmm. getting me to quit it's easier than laying me off because what they wanted to do is they wanted to thin the herd so it makes profit margins look higher they can then sell their company for more money so they're getting rid of a lot of they were they were just cutting people but they were giving them this ultimatum of like you can either go do door-to-door sales for no money except commission which you're not going to be good at because you suck it you're not a good salesman you're a technician or you can quit. So a bunch of us quit and realized, oh my gosh, we just yeah. got ourselves out Don't of a pink get, slip. 
You don't get unemployment. We quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no unemployment now. There's there's no back. There's no backup plan now. You're just unemployed now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went okay, and I went. This is never happening to me ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, Emily at the time was uh, building her empire with her with her side of the business while I was, you know, doing the nine to five thing. It was kind of to a point where, you know, at the time I think we only had one kid. We just had Artie at we the time. We had Artie. Yeah, we just had Artie at the time, and we were doing pretty well. We had a little bit of a disposable income. I was like, hey, what would it be like if we just, like, didn't have that anymore? <laughs> you know, what if we just went, like, you know, gig to gig and just kind of figured it out? And she was like, it's your turn, dude. And, you know, that allowed me to build my studio and allowed me oh, to wow. kind of build my career. I wrote, you know, was writing way more music and putting out my own albums and stuff with my band. And, and it just kind of snowballed into where we're at today. You know, just because Wild. just because I even whenever I was working those jobs was trying to figure out I, I, this may be a personality flaw, but I would always try to figure out how to get out of going to work. <laughs> you know, like I would always try to figure out the easiest way to do something, whether it was right or wrong. I, I was if someone said, you know, this is the way we always do it. I was like, there's like 10 easier ways to do this to where I don't have to be here for two hours. Like, they're like, no, you got to do it the right way. I'm like, I want to do it my way. And then I would do it my way and then I'd get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and, eventually, I, and it would get done. Get it would get that. done, you know? I get that. I, I even think that's sort of the way, like, we, we produce TV commercials and web videos and things like that. And, you know, so often you're sort of hogtied by the parameters of what the, the client expects it expects the way it to be done because of the way it was yeah. always done yeah. and so yes. you have to follow those same protocols and in a way even like with this show i was i've talked about this on the show before but i said you know okay i do enough of those things where i'm, I'm sort of hogtied or i'm fenced in and it's got to be that way not that it's the best way but it's the mm-hmm. way it's expected to be done because it's what's been done and it's the way everybody likes it and they feel comfortable with that as i don't want to do that anymore i kind of want to do something where if I think of it and it's easy to do it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And so that's kind of what I've been doing with this. And it's been, it's taken, it's like my tea kettle valve, to be honest. I can flip the lid and let some of that pressure out because, yeah, I can't, like you expressed, I get to that point where I go, I don't know if I can do this this way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got um, enough battery in me to keep going mm-hmm. at that with that yeah. charge. Yeah. Right, yeah. I gotta do it the, another way to get a little recharge. Yeah, you know, so I needed this as much as I've been, as much as I do it for other people to listen to and hopefully get something out of. I also do it for myself because I need that. It's an outlet. To yeah. be honest, it's just a place to play a little bit and sure. do some try some things and do some stuff that's not, you know, up and down and left and right. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helped. Do you ever hear a good song on the radio that just moves you? Maybe it stirs your heart, but then it starts to move your body too? Do people around you say things like, you've got rhythm, or where do you get your energy? Well, I've got a secret for you that might be your dance coming out, and the Whistle Stop Dance Sport might be just the job your dance is looking for. I know your first thought, but I don't have any dance experience. That's one of the good things about this opportunity. You don't need years of dance experience to do it. What Whistle Stop Dance Sport is searching for is a multi-dimensional talent. What does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you. You see, dance goes far beyond formal training, though that is a plus. Being able to dance means you can take life by the hand and let it put one arm around your waist and move to the rhythms that flow your way. 
To be a dance instructor at Whistle Stop Dance Sport, you'd need to have experience working with children, good rhythm, positive energy, and a personality for people. Dance Sport works to enrich children's lives by offering social, emotional, behavioral, and cognitive skills that naturally build confidence. Through dance, these children develop self-esteem, express themselves creatively, and strengthen critical thinking skills. Does the thought of affecting young lives in a positive way stimulate your mind, your heart? Do you want to do something that matters? Something that could really change the course of a young person's life? Then maybe that's why you heard about this dance instructor position with Whistle Stop Dance Sport. You can send your resume or letter to Whistle Stop Dance Sport. 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. That's 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. Training dates for this position start in July 2019. So if you feel you may be right, don't wait to send in your resume. If you'd like to hear more about this position, call Whistle Stop Dance Sport at 337-515-7577. That's 337-515-7577. And if you do call, do me a favor and let them know you heard about this on Find the Good News. Like with, with what you do, like uh, we do a little bit of visual art and stuff like yeah. that. And I, I do some design on... Yeah, you did the Crybaby logo. Yeah. I saw it look good. Thanks, man. And like, do you ever get with your business where you're like almost too good at something where your turnaround is so fast that people don't perceive the value in what you've just done? I think that's absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because what's happened there, I mean, and everybody's different. Everybody's better at, at other things. But for me, um, well, okay, you're sitting next to this whiteboard. You like to see that right there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got a client at this table, and you do something long enough to where it becomes instinct. They start mm-hmm. telling you their idea, what they're wanting to do, and you go, and and they're saying, "But we need it fast." But you're you're sort of half of you's in the meeting, the other part of your brain's going, "You're working it out." Oh, I'm seeing something. I'm seeing mm-hmm. an idea. Well, middle of the meeting, you just go, "Hey, what if we did this? Sketch it out. Cool. I like it. Go." Hour later, it's done. The quality's just as high as if I had yeah. agonized over sure. it. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'll give you, well, y'all, let's talk about cast iron for a second. <laughs> oh, thank God. All right. Thank so, God. like, this is a great oh, example of that. Last night, I cooked a, a dish I'd never cooked before, and it was something I kept seeing pop up. And this lady said, This is the absolute best one pot recipe I have ever cooked with the least amount of ingredients and effort. I would cook this every, you know, and I was like, okay, people say that kind of mm-hmm. junk, but I was like, I wanted to cook last night. I said, hey, I told my wife, I'm going to cook this recipe I found. I kid you not, that is the least amount of time I have spent in the kitchen. I, I was done. I mean, literally 15 minutes and then 20 minutes on the stove in a cast iron pot. And I asked my wife, I said, is it good? And she ate it first and she goes, it's really good. And I ate probably more than I should have because I was like, this is really good. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it's kind of that, that, that thing. I'm going, this was the least amount of effort, the fewest ingredients. I probably wouldn't have put them together mm-hmm. myself. And it was better than things that I've agonized over. Yeah. So I guess I, I, my, I say all that to mean... That's what it feels like a lot of times when I'm doing certain types of projects. I'm like, yeah, I only spent an hour, but are you paying me for the hour or are you paying me for the 20 years exactly? You know that it took to get here to where I can yeah. get it to you in an hour? People don't realize that. You know, if you know, I have like in my wedding photography in my contract is six to eight weeks for your, your album delivery. 
of images and you know sometimes it only takes me a week yeah and I, you know no one's ever been like oh that didn't take you know because people want their pictures right uh but actually on sessions when you know it's just a mini session which i say technically is roughly 30 minutes i've had to start saying roughly before everything because i have been on sessions where you know if if i you know a mini session is 15 images like if you guys are working really well together and we get the you know a handful of images and i know i'm gonna get 15 various really great images and it took 20 minutes yeah i don't want to waste my time or theirs so i'm just kind of like okay uh well we're done and i've actually had some people like call me out on it on a session of like well it was supposed to be 30 minutes and then i don't like confrontation so i'm like oh yeah you're right you know but i know that i'm not gonna deliver 40 images when they paid me for a mini session now i might upsell them on it yeah but you know, it, it's kind of an interesting thing and people don't really realize that they're not always paying for the amount of time. Right. You know, when, you know, for whatever you're working on, whether it's a logo or a website or images, you mm-hmm. know, like, I guess maybe the wording, especially for weddings, because I charge hourly, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. I'm not leaving weddings early, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting that people will gravitate. They, they want to put a number... A yeah. time frame time, yeah, we're so time, time oriented yeah. that that's how we understand how we spend well, money because it's we're paid for, by the hour I think it's Everyone hard for people to is, contemplate like yes. these like creative industries sometimes mm-hmm. when they don't work in them like, like because they want to you, they look around at the rest of the world and it may not be creative so the rest of the world is very quantified and you know mm-hmm. this is this thing and it costs this much and there's this quantity of it and I accept this price for this thing yeah most of the time what we're doing the thing the the end result thing has to be made and born and it comes from a lot of different poking and prodding and shaping and so how do you quantify these invisible things places that it's Mm -hmm. being born from i've always had that question because i do see people who you know across the country other places in the world even in our community that'll produce something and i'm going they're getting a premium price for that Mm -hmm. and it could even be a substandard quality but i can't get that Mm -hmm. and i don't know why and a lot of it's just perception of an acceptance it's like well we accept that we're going to pay this much for this item from Mm -hmm. them but we're not going to pay that much for you because we never have yeah Yeah. and that's literally it there's no (laughs) science behind it it's just literally what we're willing to accept part of it has to do with our region as well because what for the quality that i offer i could move to seattle and make eight to ten grand a wedding, but I can't yeah. pull that. No, you know, well, this is, market is different. It's very interesting, I mean, especially the wedding industry here. With it's know, that way for behind, everything here. We're behind on so many trends and yeah. <laughs> understanding of the, of the creative industry and its values. So. I, I guess, can count on two hands the amount of times that like I've delivered a mix for a, something I've produced, you know, and the the band or the you know the leader of the band go, oh man, we love it. It sounds awesome. Do you, do you may want to work on it a little longer because mm-hmm. it was only like a day ago that we did it. I'm like, I'm like, like could it be better? It's like that's what I say. I'm like, is there something you want me to change? Is something that needs to be better about? It? They're like, I mean, no, it sounds awesome, but it didn't it didn't take you very long. I I'm think, like, I yeah, think people are worried that yeah. if you know? you're hasty with something that you're not giving it your right. all. But yeah. we're so 
I don't know, like we take so much pride in our work that I'm not going to deliver a half, a, a high, uh, you can say that a half ass product <laughs> yeah, yeah, because right. my name is on it and I've built my brand. Justin calls it an empire. I don't like to say <laughs> that, but you know, I built my brand and I pride myself on what I'm delivering. So, you know, there, there are times where it's like someone wants a little thing photoshopped out. That's not a problem, but you know, if a wedding album takes less than a week, yeah. You know, it doesn't mean I'm being hasty with it. It just means that it's taken me 11 years of being a professional photographer and 15 or I don't even know how long I've had a camera in my hand. It's a cul- culmination. Culmination. I can never things. say that yeah, word. That's a tough culmination one. of all of those years of formulating yeah. what I have and how I work now. Whenever I started out in digital photography, YouTube tutorials were not a thing. I had to self-teach Photoshop. I had to self-teach, you know, I guess when Lightroom came about, there were YouTube tutorials, but I'm so not, yeah, and Justin laughs because he's like, just get on YouTube and figure it out, and that's such a hard thing for me to do because I cut in, you know, I just had to force my own way into figuring these things out that that's ingrained in me, that I have to work you know, yeah, I find that in video editing, it's out. like that for me because I wasn't my first wasn't my first door in the industry. You know, that came later, and um, shooting was one thing, but I was editing mm-hmm. in my head, and I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta get that out of my head into here, and then making uh, pulling the plug on certain softwares that people liked versus the ones that I was more yeah. intuiting, <laughs> and I was like, okay, this one this just works better with the way I work. I'm the same way, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm gonna use this. I don't care if it's not the industry standard. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. use yeah, this one. Like, like I, I went to uh, Lamar in Port Arthur. I was in the music program there, and they, they teach Pro Tools for audio production. And I hate Pro Tools because the way my studio is set up, the way my workflow is set up, and uh, this may be speaking your language, workflow, all that kind of stuff. All you nerds out there don't like this. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my studio, everything's mic'd up all the time. Mm-hmm. My, okay. my, I have, a, I have a, a Baldwin piano that's always mic'd up, ready to go. I have a Hammond organ that's always ready to go, full drum set. Everything at any time you say you want to use it, it let's let's do it. Because the way my workflow is is I like she said, I always think the first take is probably gonna be my favorite. And also the the moment of inspiration whenever you're like, I wanna try this. Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna say, Okay, well go practice it right apart and then let's iron it out. I, I wanna hear you play scared. You know, I want to hear you play so terrified to hit the wrong note that you don't overplay. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to hear you. I, I want to hear that thing you heard in your head. Yeah. You know, when, when you said, oh, I think this needs that Baldwin piano. Go sit down at it. I'm going to hit record. Play, play me what you hear, you know? So, and Pro Tools just wasn't conducive to me being able to do that. It's a little bit slower to get around on. So yeah. I, I use like a free third-party software that, well, it's free if you're not a professional. Once you're a professional, you have to buy a license. I've done that. Don't come after me. But um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this particular software is not considered like, you know, an industry standard uh, because it's simple to get around on. And I'm like, this this for me, it makes it to where I can, I can do one uh, one hot key and one click and I'm ready to record yeah. that thing. Yeah. You know? And so sometimes people come in my studio and, I'm, and they're like, okay, I want to do this. How much time should I book? I'm like, just come in and let's do it and then pay for it. Because they'll be like, uh, yeah, we, we did that whole song and it only took like four hours. I'm like, 
that's just the way that it works around here, you know? Yeah. I, I've, been, I've been called a maestro by some and a mad scientist by others. <laughs> I like so. that, though. Yeah. I do. I like that. I like what you're describing there because I, I feel like that, too. I mean, I feel like if you want to get it done, just let me let me do it. Mm. Let me do it and tell me what you want to do. We want you to work with us on it. And that's one thing for me in our industry. I want, I want that work relationship with whoever I'm working with. I want them to collaborate. Collaborate. I, I don't like that um, when somebody says, hey, look, I want complete hands off. You just do it. And then after you screw up, we're going to tell you. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot of yeah. what it is. And I go, look, I'd rather us be an extension of your team. We want to work with you. But when you're ready to do something, let's get it done. Let's get it scheduled. We'll show up. We'll get the thing. I'll come back. I'll edit it. We'll get it out. And then we're going to keep rolling. Because that was that's the other thing I hate is a ghost town brand where it's like, we did something cool and then it just went dark. Hmm. You know, let's keep it rolling and let's keep things moving. Let's do new projects. Let's keep things going. Always content. Generating mm-hmm. content that's nice and consumable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you can't do that if you're going to micromanage and always want the quantities and the, the bars and the graphs and everything to be just that way. Because you have to be nimble. We have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. To do that, if we're not flexible, we're rigid, we die. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I feel yeah. about it, man. And especially in my little corner of the music world, like I know my niche. I'm I'm uh, involved in roots music and singer songwriters and that kind of thing. If it gets too far out, I'm gonna probably turn that project down because I know it's not gonna be it's not gonna be good because I'm not good at electronic music or metal or anything like that. You know, metal. I, I, yeah, <laughs> thunder. You know, you know. I, I know my world, and my world is really conducive to where if I have an artist come in, I usually always tell them at the door, any ideas that you have, let's leave them out here. And if they if they tell me, do you want to hear the demos of the songs before I come? Nope, I don't want to hear anything. I want the first time to hear the song, I hear the song, is you sitting in front of me and you play me that song. And then while they're playing me that song, I'm just going to be on my, you know, I have my Apple Pencil on my iPad. I'm just writing down like, okay, I can hear this or I can hear this kind of mode for this song or this kind of uh, groove or, or whatever. And a lot of times people will be like, man, that came out nothing like I had heard it in my head. Wow. But it's like the most, uh, I want the most intimate and the most personal version of that song i want that song to be it's itself instead of like and that happens to me all the time with songs that i'm like i'm currently we're in you know neck deep in a new record and recording and producing a new record for for me and it's like i sometimes i have an idea of like i want this song to sound like you know Tom Petty or Neil Young, and then you go in and, and put the song down and start piecing it together and putting in. You're like, okay, that sounds nothing like I intended it to sound. Yeah, but then, the, there, but then there are sometimes though, like the uh, the single that we're just kind of finishing up that's going to be coming out soon called "Tell Me One More Lie" uh, is going to be the first single off this new record. I heard that song in my head and it went down exactly how I heard it in my head and I, I recorded the whole song in two hours. That's cool because man. I, I had every part in my head when I wrote that song. That's got to feel special to have something just come out of you like that. It both see it. Yeah, they're they're both extremely fulfilling. For one to be able to go along for the ride, uh, to, for this non non animated thing, this non person, this non this idea to literally just grab you by the hand and take you along. Yeah. Instead of taking it and putting it in your bag and you taking it on the journey. 
you know, submit, yeah. submitting to the whatever it is and letting it take you is sometimes sometimes it's even more. I would say it's even more fulfilling for that to happen because because then you come out of an eight hour session and you're like, what the freaking heck just happened? Yeah, you know, it was like an acid trip or something. You know, that's interesting. I've only had one project that I can think of in the last ten years that was like that, and it was this project I did for. Um, the Calcasieu Parish School Board. We did this teacher promotion product or the project where they wanted to. It was basically a recruitment product to get other people interested in teaching. But the people they selected. I mean, there was this one lady that just I knew when I was filming her. It was kind of like I guess it almost was like I'd say the seeds of like doing the show were in that interview because I had the camera, two cameras on her, and I was sort of ask her the question to stimulate her response because we want it to be unscripted. And it was like everything she said, I felt like it was just transferring like right into my heart. Mm. And I, I cried while I was filming her. I was like, you're I didn't tell her, <laughs> but I was like, man, this is like just you have a grip on me mm. right now. And so I got back into editing and I had all these teachers I'd film, but I kept I ended up using her as sort of the linchpin of each mm. thing. I'd go, OK, she said this and I'm going to try to find the other things that everybody else said to support what she said. And she was the person I started with. She was one I landed on. And so years later, um, oh, you know who I'm talking about, I think. Shaquilla. Yes, oh. I love Shock. Yeah. yeah. And I was yes. like, I was online. Shock, and Shock's like top five people. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh, man. And I saw that she'd moved away, you know, and all that. And I was sort of following her online. Mm-hmm. And I'm in deep denial that that happened. She really doesn't, oh. didn't realize. Like, I don't think yeah. she realized. Because you only met me like that day for like, you know, an hour or whatever. I had no idea that I had left that kind of impression on you i was like man it was sticky stuff yeah. you're sticky you got sticky for, passions for yeah. teaching and youth is just beyond anything i've ever seen yeah i'm sitting here telling the story and realize y'all know who i'm talking about yeah. i didn't realize yeah but yeah it was like that kind of project though where there was that special mix you know yeah. i mean she had something in there that i wasn't me i had nothing to do with it she was the raw goods of just like making something special you know it's really interesting the emotional value that we can take away as artists from our clients or I guess in your case the album like for yeah. you it'd be like album concepts like we were having another kitchen talk the other night we were talking about the this is a concept album that he's working on so we were kind of going over that and talking about just the direction that the these story songs are taking and they're not all from particular events but you've got to somehow work them out and we were just talking about how you have to tap into this level that you you maybe don't always want to go to, but you know, for the sake of the song, you've got to kind of tap into these recesses of your brain and allow yourself to create yeah. in that. If it's a darker song, then you've kind of got to allow yourself to feel these Because it's not just sitting down to write a song. This is just me talking about you know his songwriting style. But, uh, you know, you don't just sit down and think, oh, I'm going to write a song, and then you write it out. At least not for you you know there i just feel like there's this whole level of emotion that's involved with being in the creative industry for your work and you know you're subjecting yourself to some level of having to be open open and vulnerable like for you in the moment with listening to shaquille and having to hide your tears or whether you're in the kitchen crying because you wrote this really intense song and you had to tap into a a darker recess of your brain to write it and then you have to somehow snap back out of it and you know get on with your life yeah yeah interesting i had a i had a friend i won't say her name but she lost a parent to alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that 
and that inspired me to write a song that I will never sing. I will never play it for anybody. I will never record it. But it's about that. And it's the song I wrote called Who Are You Talking To? And it's just, I mean, it was like one of the most depressing things I've ever written, Oren. Like, I'll never play this song because I probably wouldn't make, make, make it through it. But it was just, like, like I said, it's one of those things that you, you tap into this level of, like, so much empathy you know, being able to really put yourself in someone's shoes that you've never been in. So, I, like, concept albums are kind of my thing. Like, the second record that I put out called Heartaches and Rattlesnakes is all the songs are breakup songs, even though I've never been broken up with or broken up with anybody. But I, I, knew, I knew a lot of stories. You know, you hear, especially talking to men, every guy I'd ever met had a story about I think they say, you know, whenever you're a man, you're not a real man until you've broken a heart or had your heart broken, you know? So they've all got those stories. So I took and cataloged a bunch of them and wrote songs based off each one. And every breakup song that's on that album is is a true story from someone that I know because I myself didn't have that experience. Yeah. But I've had people come to me and they're like, man, you must have had it rough. I'm like, I'm like, I really... <laughs> I have one girlfriend. She's and I'm married to her, you know, because I, I wasn't very good with the ladies, you know. And so this next album is called American Zen. is the, is gonna be the name of the record. And to me, they're all just kind of like striking, Amer uh, really American stories. But they're not always good stories. Sometimes America is not a happy place to be in for some right. people. For some people, it is happy. For some people, it's going out and finding the territory. You know, it's you know Lewis and Clark, or it's you know I have one song on there called "Hey Hey My My" about a girl who leaves her hometown and goes to San Francisco and uh, follows the Grateful Dead. You know, kind of that that that's an American story to me. And then then I have one song that'll be on the record about a guy who just never could. He was like never could get ahead and eventually makes a bunch of mistakes and ends up in prison you know murder ballad kind of thing yeah. it's like that's an american tale too yeah you know and then all these stories are all going to kind of come together as like this is kind of our american you know zen this is our I story like our collective consciousness is all so this is like an anthology almost <laughs> like it's going to be sort of different tales like yeah. i like yeah. that a lot and, and you know there's songs about heartbreak on them because you know, especially in especially in the world that I live in, which I kind of call it country or southern music. It's like heartbreak's a part of the world that we live in. So there's sto stories about that, you know, and that's kind of how I piece together songs. Especially for me, it's like I, I think I write better from other people's perspectives. And one thing I always say about songwriting is you've got two choices: you can either be honest and real with your own emotions, or you can try your damnedest to not get caught lying. <laughs> You know, right. and, and for me, the latter is usually the truth. It's, yeah. It, for me, it's trying my hardest to make sure you don't see me lying on stage. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I get I mean? you. Yeah, this, that's actually really interesting. I mean, to to be able to write songs that touch people emotionally and like really get into them, but to have not had the experience yourself, that that's a special gift to be able to tap into other people's spaces like I, that. I think so you know, and, uh, and share them. And my my I always tell people if you're going to tell me what you think a song's about, I'm just going to agree with you. Mm -hmm. Cuz yes. Mm. You know, I, I had a song on my first record called Can't Get Away From You and I have my own interpretation of that song. That's probably the more, that's probably the most personal song I've ever written. And I have my interpretation of what that song means. And every time I've played that song, uh the chorus is I've got uh 10 cents in my pocket. I've got two cents on my shoes. I can take a Greyhound to nowhere, but I can't get away from you. 
And I, anytime I sing that song, it'll either be, you know, the the weepy-eyed drunk at the bar. It's like, that reminds me of my third wife or something like that. <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm like, I, and, I, and I'll say, I wrote it about your third wife. Hey, like that. And he's like, oh, man, you know. And, you know, they'll, they'll say, that reminds me of my hometown. Uh, or, or I've had I had a guy who was came to one of my shows. He was an immigrant from Ireland. He was like, you know, that reminds me of Ireland, you know, or whatever. I'm like, then that's what it's about, bro. That's exactly like what, that. That's exactly what it's about. And then you know, you just kind of see the look of like, uh, I'm trying to think of. I'm, I've come to a loss for words for the first time. Uh, you, you could see the kind of affirmation of like, okay, great. I'm glad that I that I can feel that. I'm allowed to feel that way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you you don't go. Oh well, let me. You know, it's interesting. Let me I, correct you real quick. Right in a like, way. Why would I do that? <laughs> it's funny because I'm thinking like about even scripture. Yeah. In a way, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. thinking about the way you're describing. That's kind of the way scripture is for me. Like I'll read some scripture and I just kind of go, okay, I'm gonna read this for a while, and then you go, oh wait, this just jumps out. It speaks to this in my life, mm-hmm. and it's this one thing, and and you go, you know, it's this three thousand years old, whatever book it may be from. Totally not about my life, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> but for some reason, that's where it's at for me, and right. you can kind of and it gets sucked into you that way. And I yeah, love yeah. that because it's very uh, relevant. Well, I think we're all hunting for meaning, meaning in just about yeah. everything. Yeah. I mean, everything yeah, we, we all see, we're just muse, trying yeah. to find something that we that is relevant to us, even if it's you know, it doesn't matter. It don't. No offense. It almost doesn't matter what Justin's song right. lyrics are actually about. Yeah. What matters not is Bob Dylan. Not <laughs> people who sit there and listen is how they interpret it or relate to it. And, and if they can relate to it, it doesn't matter if they don't get what it's actually about. The purpose is that you, Justin, created a song that a group of people related to and it meant something to them. That's Even it. if only in that moment, in that three or four minutes that you were playing it live and they never hear it again, that's what mattered the most is that for whatever reason, it was relevant to them, and that's what matters. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. And I'm happy. I know it. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. 
That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. Well, you know, back in, like, I guess 1995, you know, you used that word, kind of had a awakening or yeah, change yeah. in consciousness. Something happened, <clears throat> and it was kind of that situation for me. And it happened in a way and in a place where I didn't really have any framework for it. I didn't have any education in it. I didn't have like a, my family didn't raise me in a church. And I mean, I'd went to church and I was baptized, a baptized Christian, but I just didn't have like a, a go-to. Like okay. I didn't go, oh, this has happened. Something's obviously changed. Something that I don't quite understand. And so I was like, well, how do I frame it? As I started kind of exploring and going, I need to understand what happened. Um, really at that time I guess there, I, the internet wasn't a thing and so it was just books I was like I need to start seeking so I started reading I knew it was something spiritual and I knew that it was something like sort of a, a sacred and holy thing or at least it felt like that to me so that's what I started reading I was like I'm going to read I went, went to the Bible and landed in Ecclesiastes and I found some things there that kind of went okay this frames some of this yeah. and then but it was that a hunger for like wanting to know and then I ended up reading a book called Living Buddha Living Christ by huh. Thich Nhat Hanh and I won't say it's the book that changed everything but he had a special gift for um, very ecumenical. I mean, it's it's a wonderful book. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's just wonderful. When Man. I was in high school, I read uh, the Buddha and his teachings. Oh yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Well, that's a yeah from by Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah, yeah, that's a great book. It's like an overview. Yeah, of all, yeah, yeah. yeah. My son's reading that actually right now. <laughs> and so I just for something to me about the way he presented his perspective on Christianity, it was a nice um, middle ground for me. I was like, okay, okay, I can, I feel like this is sort of beginning to land in this space where it, it made sense with what was going on in my life. And so what ended up happening is it, through him, I got a really strong interest in just religion in general. I mean, I was like, I was fascinated by awakening stories. I was fascinated by anybody's story, not just religion, but like Thoreau or um, Emerson or Walt Whitman. Mm -hmm. Anybody who woke had an awakening. I was yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. where does this come from? How are you framing it? Yeah. And and then it was just the beauty of whenever you read any anything by those beings. The similarities, the similarity in the way it would pour out, and there's sure. this, this broad scope stuff, Christian and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just a beautiful thing. And yeah. so that though that really was just what it was. It was just a broad interest, but then I just kind of found that I could set my teepee up really nicely for me in in a Buddhist Christian world. I don't, sure, it doesn't always. It's not an always easy conversation because if you get in a hardline Buddhist camp, you're ultimately going to run into some hardline ideas that are very in opposition to hardline Christian camps, sure. you know, especially when you get into um, one life heaven 
or reincarnation. Mm-hmm. You get into those two subjects and then you get into some like, okay, you got to really have a, a longer, deeper conversation yeah, yeah. to find a, a middle ground there. But outside of that, I find that the con- the teachings of Buddhism go, they, they flow very nicely into yeah. the teachings of Christianity. I we, find. Well, very- you have to, I mean, I think sometimes people, uh, and we can wrap this up so we can do our fishbowl, but I think people forget that. Uh, Christianity happened in a Middle Eastern country. Right. You know, I think people forget the context of when this happened. When you think sure. about the time frame when it happened and the location, especially us here in America, we, we frame Jesus as, uh, you know, white, sure. Republican uh, You know, it's you interesting, know? that picture behind you, I always bring it up when somebody brings this up on the show. Yeah. That's a picture of Jesus. Yeah. And somebody one day said well why is it that's not jesus i said but it is jesus and if you read the back of it the, the artist who created that he does multi he does pictures multi-ethnic of multi-ethnic jesus, jesus. Yeah. and he he talks about he said jesus when christianity it, it goes to rome and rome if you want to look at it he said was the internet of its day yeah that was where all news flew all roads yeah. lead to rome that was if you wanted to get a message out you went to rome because mm-hmm. that's where it, so if you want to talk Roman language and you want to speak to people in Rome, you make Jesus look like you make him look like a Roman. He's going yeah. to be. He, and if you, we look at our icons, it's you know the white Roman God. I mean, even all of our yeah, you know, I mean, ca- our Catholic icons. It's, that, that one up there. Yeah, yeah. It's very you know. It's kind of hipster Jesus. But. Yeah. Well, the divine mercy. I'm I'm down with that image up there. I love that image. You know, but it's like. He said, so that's where it takes root. So there you see the art begins to pour out of there. And that's why our art looks that way. I said, but what if, what if it would have taken root in Japan? How would we, how would they have been painted? That's it. So he said, I like to paint images like that. I'm reading, um, Black Elk Speaks right now. Okay. I was, I just started it. I keep hearing people bring it up and over the years it's been referenced and, um, blown away i mean just blown away because i was i was thinking about it as i was reading the first i read the first 50 pages the other night and i was like man this is some heavy trippy stuff but i started thinking about it as i was reading is like why does this why does this sound familiar and i was like oh i know why because this is basically ezekiel mm. which is some heavy trippy stuff yeah that whole first chapter of black elk speaks is a vision i mean he has a vision as a young boy and i think there are people who probably would not read it because they're going to go I don't know what he's talking about. These images, these beasts, this creature, this eagle, this this color, and all these horses and ponies, and they're all different colors, and the horse is talking. I'm going, yeah, well, go read Ezekiel because (laughs) it's trippy like that too, and you don't people don't know what it means. It's very hard to determine what you're looking at. Anyway, I, I bring that up because I Black Elk ultimately has a vision of. Put that in my Amazon cart. It sounds. It's awful. worth reading, man. He has a vision ultimately of he calls it the tr- the um the tree at the top of the world where he say he calls it the circle of the earth, where that's what he's shown. And you know, from a Native American whose feet have never left the planet, what he describes is this incredible vision of the world like from a high place where he can see the circle of the earth now how would he have ever seen the circle of the earth as a man who's never left the earth you know it's like this incredible imagery that he's trying to describe but ultimately he meets a man who appears to him and he has holes in his hand he has a white feather in his hair and he begins to talk about this tree that blossoms out and all the different colors and all the people are in this tree and they're sheltered by this tree and there's this one man with the white eagle feather and his hands are pierced, and I was like, "This is fascinating." This wow. man is not a Christian. Wow! You know, he ultimately becomes a Christian. He becomes a Catholic. He becomes a Christian, 
And if you look into it, go on YouTube, it's incredible. They have the Lakota Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And they basically have taken Black Elk is considered a saint by these people because he was like a prophet. I mean, he was having prophetic Mm -hmm. visions. But they do the mass using uh, sage and drums and feathers. And I'm like, this is so beautiful and so incredible. And I, I just wish more... Because in our community, people fight over whether you should have an organ or a piano in church. Right. You know, and one camp says yes, one camp says no. They fight with each other. Or they they don't fight with each other. They talk about it about each other. Yeah. And I'm going, back. and look, here we got Black Elk. They're banging drums. Banging and drums and burning incense. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm going, this is where we need to get where where something can blossom and, like, sort of take on the mm-hmm. roots of the, the culture and, like, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a celebration, and that's not a, awesome. I don't know. It's a good book, though. So far, I mean, I don't know other much more than that, other than what I just shared. But I've been blown away at how there are beings that just show up out of place and out of time. They don't come from anywhere. There's no mm-hmm. teaching. Nobody gave them a book, mm-hmm. and something just happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, poof. Where's yeah. where this coming from? Right. I love that. It's I love like it. the you told me a story of a, a tribe, and I forget where it is. I remember. Uh, but anyways, you the, oh, they yeah. had some missionaries come, and then they were talking about Jesus, and they're like, oh, we know who that is. We heard his name on the wind. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they, they, <laughs> and I wish I had they, they a more turned, specific reference. They basically for turned that, these missionaries away. Said we already we know what you're need, talking about. We don't, we don't need, need this. You. We already have that. We, we, we hear his name all the time. Interesting. I'm like, whoa. We're on the but, wind. Yeah. Interesting. And I think I I just love that. I don't know. I th- I wish I there were more too. freedom in how we can take what we believe and uh, watch it kind of blossom and flourish. Mm-hmm. I think the way you know, I mean, look, nature has the answer. You can grow bananas in one place in a climate and then you can take those seeds and, and grow bananas in another place another climate and then over in 300 years those be bananas different. are not going to be the same yeah. bananas well, I think that's yeah. really interesting because that ties into my own spiritual experience or journey mm-hmm. I hate that I hate that word I don't like the word I don't like spiritual journey I don't know the right a different just, way to say it is it because it's a cliche it's just a cliche yeah, I don't okay. like I, I, I roll my eyes at like every cliche <laughs> but uh, I get it I get yeah. what you mean I'm kind of uh, it's just a re- rebellion to, resistance to yeah. the to the standard (laughs) we're all so different and we're so willing to embrace our differences but for some reason i feel like that's not exactly acceptable with how you choose to worship which is why i struggled so much sure but in my atheism to to rein it back in just a little bit i and coming out of it i realized that i'm you know you can't expect everyone to worship in the same way it's it's makes perfect sense now looking back why i don't like to sing at church and i don't raise my hands or Mm -hmm. you know i'm not this outwardly spiritual person but i feel extremely close to the presence of god whenever i see a flock of blackbirds fly out of the trees sure or i burn sage in the house which there are different things that i think people would relate to other bad things it happens you know, and, sure i've been told like that, i mean you my, guys there's things in here that i've mm-hmm. been flat out told by people to throw in the fire mm-hmm. you know and i'm like that's just not going to happen yeah. i mean yeah. it's just and it's such a limited view um i don't know i could go on and on about that subject because i just go you know i i can't do that i'm mm-hmm. not going to do it i don't i'm not there's no idol in here that is greater than the creator that i adore right. in my own heart and the way i think about it uh and sure if it turned to dust that's fine because that's nothing ultimately mm-hmm. but just something to remind me 
or point me when I right. need it or get me in a space when I need it. I mean, sometimes I need that thing. You I, know, think, to I think or those reminders. It just looks cool. Yeah, yeah it looks or cool. that. Right. You know, I right. mean, like, like, like in our house, <laughs> right. uh, I've got, I've got uh, I think we actually have the same, I didn't. Right. I don't remember where it went. I have the same, maybe outside, I have the same Buddha statue that you have out oh, on, on the, that table. On the little table, yeah. I have that same one on my table in the kitchen. I have a big, I have a, a Ganesh tat- statue that's about this big that's in the bedroom. I've got like six decks of tarot cards because I think they're neat and, uh, you know, rosaries and cross. I mean, I just sometimes like sometimes so, it either reminds you to look inward towards something. Yeah. You know, like Buddha reminds you to look inside and, and you know, try to find those other dimensional planes in your own mind. Not saying that he's going to do that for me. But it's just a it's a visual reminder. My eye catches it every morning when and, I walk through the hall. Yeah. And I think only the individual has the right to say whether or not something is an idol or a reminder. I think sure, so too. Yeah. Sure. And I think sometimes I have this thought a lot is that it's very easy for me to point to something and go, oh, that's an idol. When I have a thousand secret idols. Oh, man. Just, if people you know, come into yeah. our house, they'd probably think we idolize Texas more than we. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. My parents live so in Texas. There's so many representations so of, yeah. of Texas in our okay. house, but you know, more so than we, we have images of christ or, yeah you know but I it's just it. kind of plays into yeah. that like the assumptions that people make you sure know, how, like where do you draw the line like no one's coming in our house thinking we idolize we made a religious idol out of texas but in a way funny. it is funny and i would actually now that we're talking about this it makes me think i would challenge some anybody to go through this just this room and tell me what i hold most sacred right yeah. in here okay yeah what's the thing and it would probably surprise because it you know the thing that scares them the most is the thing i would probably idolize the least the thing that mm-hmm. that people will go oh that's just you shouldn't have that yeah is the thing that i go i don't even care about that take that's it. that you can have that yeah. if you mm-hmm. want you can go break it in front of me right now and that's fine i yeah. won't like it because it looks cool but i mean if you really feel it strongly about it because the thing that i really care about the most is something nobody wants and no one cares about and and i don't think that i mean we see in the the story of the bible you know actual physical idols and those don't go well but when we see jesus talk about idols i think he's making you want to look more look at your uh, schedule a little more Mm. where is your idol Love, you know, that's a good way to put that. Uh, yeah. And for, for some people, look at your internet history. Where's your idol? And what are you spending the most time on? What are you spending your time on? Not yeah. not what item do you? We, we as human humans in this century, I don't see a lot of bowing. There there are people who bow down before idols, looking for. And I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen as much as it did back in the day where pagan religions were were more prevalent than they are yeah. now. But that's not that's not how it applies to our lives today oh, you know every right. t- when i hear somebody tell me that a ouija board is going to bring a demon into your house i want to hit him over the head with one it's like i just don't how your logical it, brain it, won't it, it, explain allow to me how that possibly happens not that i have a ouija board yeah, i have no interest in that. i see what you mean and it's kind of y'all know if y'all watching game of thrones but it reminds me of uh of a line from one of the recent episodes where he said um, the power resides where men believe power resides. Exactly. So yeah. we can, or something is only worth as much as people will pay for it. Yeah. You, know, you ever heard that one? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the same thing. That's right. You you assign that yourself mm-hmm. by giving it the power. Yeah. You know we can do that. We do that all the time. That's that's another good segue. <sighs> Fishbowl time. Who's going first? 
I guess I'm going first. I now, got, look, I'll, let me warn you. There are three, so you know, tech, tactile-wise, uh-huh. there are little slips of paper. Those okay. are the ones that guests have submitted. Okay. There are playing card-sized cards, which is, they're like um, just thought stimulators. And then there's large cards, which, which are would-you-rather questions. Mm. So I tell people that because... When you're souping around in there, if you go, I don't really want to do a would you rather. Those okay. are the big cards. Just okay. Okay. Some, some people don't like. Saying, uh, so. cool. <laughs> I want to do a guest submitted one. And okay. Then you can tell me who submitted it. Are you an organ donor? If so, why or why not? Oh, what? nobody's pulled that question yet. That's a, that's a, yeah, I, I'm an organ. I'm, it's on my license. Yeah. And uh, I don't really have a, I don't, I don't think of it of like. I'm doing this to be Superman or anything like that. It just seemed like if, if I'm dead, I don't, I don't need, need it. it. You don't need it. Are you an organ donor? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Did you put a lot of thought into that? Because I, I don't know that I did when I saw I, I don't think I, I did either. I did. And I okay. specifically remember, I mean, I was, was when I got my driver's license, I was with my mom. And she was kind of like, I don't know if you want to do that. And I was really? like, I don't really care. Because I didn't care about anything. I've had but her people... thing was, you know, you... I don't know. I think uh, she has a more sacred view of not that it's it's not sacred to donate your organs, but her view is just so different. And I can specifically remember like actually kind of questioning, okay, what well, I want to do this. And then huh. ultimately I was like, it doesn't really matter. And I guess I'll help someone. So what do you think your mom, fact. I'm curious, what is your mom's view? Um, I mean, if you had to okay. state for I think mom. it was the, the kind of well, maybe the destruction of the body hmm. and, uh, if you don't have to destroy it, don't destroy it kind of thing. Like after like, the fact. And yeah. maybe she had a... I don't re- honestly know. Maybe she had a view that uh, your body, when you're laying in your casket for open viewing, wouldn't look the same. And I don't want oh, an open viewing uh, casket. Like, I don't want anyone okay. to see me. So I didn't really care about that. I didn't have ideologies about what I wanted to do. But you know, I certainly have a plan about... You know, I don't want people to see me laying in a casket. So it didn't really matter to me. Yeah. Anyways, that wasn't my question. That was your question. I, uh, <laughs> I've heard people have a conspiracy theory that if you're an organ donor, they don't try as hard to save your life if you're like in a car accident or Ooh, something. But I think that's a bunch of bull. I've never heard that, but that that's a good conspiracy theory. I, I've, heard, I've heard they look at your license if you're an organ donor, then they don't work oh, as Oh, really? Hard. In the heat of the moment? Right, like yeah. Looking for your that's wallet. interesting. Well, that's that's interesting. interesting. <laughs> on Theo's podcast recently, there was a guy, you know, I was pretty cool. They helped a guy... Um, there was a guy who kept calling into a show, but he had uh, cystic fibrosis and he ended up getting a lung transplant. And so he was just on Theo's show, mm-hmm. actually. And they had they paid one of their sponsors paid to have him come to Los Angeles and go on cool. the show. It gave him spending money and stuff. But it was a great episode. The guy had some really interesting, real candid stuff that he shared about being the recipient of someone's organs. Yeah. You know, like what it's like and what mm-hmm. it's the fears when you're waiting. Um, wow. it, it actually convinced me more that how important it is to be an organ donor. I was like, wow, this guy without these lungs would be dead yeah and he, he's and then well both aware be dead it. yeah you know what i mean if, right if i'm dead and someone else is going to be dead if they don't have my dead thing i'm just going to let them have it that way yeah. we're not yeah. both going to be dead i think that's a pretty I easy math problem yeah. <laughs> you know the insight that came from that guy though as somebody who faced death and really every day was just a waiting game mm-hmm. you know and then potentially that he could do the surgery and it may still not work yeah it was i, I thought as i listened to them talk i thought man not only does this person get to live, but now he has the gift. And he even said that he goes, I've now my mind is completely different. Mm-hmm. I'm like a new person it, yeah. because I faced 
death. Dead, like yeah. my, I'm mortality like right there. Wow. And now I get to live and it's because somebody else gave me their organs. He said, yeah. just, it, it's kind of hard to comprehend. He said, it's really sure. life changing. Wow. Mind changing too. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I'm an organ donor too, but I guess when I did that, I did that back in just don't, high yeah. school. I never. Yeah. You don't consider being. it after the fact because I don't really think it matters on a personal level. Yeah, I think take them all. I don't care. Yeah, man, if they're good, if oh, they're dude. still good by the time. Donate me to science, whatever you want to do. I don't care. Yeah. I don't need it. If you, I mean, I'm going to change. I'm going to change a question though. If you could pick an organ of yours, if you had a preferential treatment. Like if you said, this is the organ I think I'd really like you to have. Oh my, I'm going to answer. Go for it. My eyes. Your eyes. Because they're so green. Ah, <laughs> Someone else deserves them. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, that's I'd an interesting. say my heart. Your heart? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's like probably the biggest the most component one. of, yeah, your most precious. Yeah. I, I think you probably. I, I would have to agree. Like, uh, you're talking about, um, Native American stuff. Uh, I got super interested in the Native American culture because my real dad, uh, he was really interested in Kashada culture and stuff like oh, that. And he, yeah. when we were kids, we went to the powwows, powwows all the time and stuff like yeah. that. There's a picture of me actually. I'm about five years old. I'm dressed up like a cowboy. How offensive is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm dressed up like a cowboy, uh, and I'm ha- I'm like playing with the little Kashada kids. It's actually kind of a There's kind of a actually kind of Kashada boy. Yeah, his his, his parents, his he's think we're standing next to each other like buddies, but his parents ended up going like get away from them. He's because I was, <laughs> I'm five years old. Who cares what I'm dressed like? But uh, you know, there's some of those cultures. They the heart is so sacred that that's mm-hmm. they would take the heart and bury the heart separate from the oh, body. Yeah, okay. Because you know, they believed it to be kind of like the hub of your spirit. Yeah, and so it's I'd have to agree. Probably, probably my heart would be the most precious one that i could give but if we're talking like sheer statistics and like which ones probably my kidneys would be the most valuable yeah that seems to be the most the going rate right now is people on dialysis kidneys you know i've never really thought about this but i mean yeah it's interesting i if my heart's still good i'd say my heart probably it's the one that people really need i mean it seems like but kidneys I don't know. It's interesting. It's got me thinking about like cultures that like take the organs out, like the Egyptians when they mummify yeah. and right. they take all the organs out, put them in jars and stuff. It's like so. It must have been something about to it the organs yeah. being. Well, that that was done post mortem. Uh, that was done with the thought that it w- you would be joined back together. So ah, put all. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you can take put me in as many pieces as possible after I'm gone, I'm, I'm down with that. Because that. <laughs> I don't know if this is really going to happen. I don't know how I interpret this part of Scripture yet. But in Revelation, it says that the, whenever everything's done and over with, we'll all basically rise from the dead. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it a challenge then. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> if you're going to put me back together, you're going to have to work for it. Burial rituals are interesting, like um, Tibetan sky burial. I mean, y'all know, are y'all familiar with that? No. They actually take the um, holy person up to the top of the mountain. And they actually dismember their body and lay, leave it for the buzzards mm, to eat and take go. away. Yeah, you know, and it's like that's just a dissolving of the the yeah, body. It's yeah. interesting. We've kind of been talking about that occasionally lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, recently on Facebook, something was going around, and I'm surprised Facebook didn't shut know, it down. Shut it down. But it was it was a deceased male, and he's laying on their dining room table, and he's surrounded in flowers mm. and. Th- things that he collected and his family's all around and you you don't you're not legal something like you're not legally required you're not legally required to use a funeral home Mm, so a lot Uh, of people don't know so a lot of people don't know that and the the wife uh Mm -hmm. brought him home he was 
displayed, laid on their table, and they decorated. It was beautiful. I mean, I have a complex about funerals and seeing dead bodies, but it was the first time I ever saw even just an image that I was okay with. It didn't horrify it you. It didn't or horrify me. You, yeah. I mean, it was just such a beautiful thing, and the family's just standing around, and for, I think, like, three days, he laid there, and she was able to grieve, and she's talking about her grieving process and how... Uh, they made it their own sacred thing, and and her healing took place so much faster. Obviously, her husband is gone of, you know, it was like 40 years. I don't know. They've been married for ages, and she was so at peace because she was able to do her own ceremony and ritual versus how I, I think a lot of times the common you know, funeral experience is somewhat abrasive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was just a, an incredible thing to see that, you know, you don't have to have that option, but that was just yeah. a yeah. tangent. No, I that. like that. No, it, yeah. it's a good tangent. I mean, I think that I've seen uh, that going through that with my own father. I think that it's very hard. I mean, the, the, the ah, gosh, yeah, whole other story. But I mean, I have a lot of feelings about how much time we allow people to grieve and yeah. the way we tell people to grieve and what's mm-hmm. acceptable by the culture of the time um, isn't always the way it should be for actual mm-hmm. true healing for people they're going through loss like yeah. that yeah and you can actually uh you had tony on here jackie yeah posted about um oh yes her, late her and the experience that they had with yeah. the funeral home and i read that she stuff did research and figured out all of the things you know that they were trying to tell her is required but it's it's really not it's just you know they're a business and they have to they have to make money but yeah that's their structure but very it's not successful business everyone goes so hmm. yeah you know, it, it was just super interesting to read her take on the funeral industry so close to you know losing her mother but yeah uh, yeah it was intense mm-hmm. well see look that's a good question isn't yeah it? I, I, it's funny what you get i'm not out gonna of lie yeah. i'm not gonna lie i peeked in the bowl and saw that question on the top and i was like well, let's just mix this around and you pulled the question <laughs> and avoid it you tried to avoid it <laughs> Your turn. no one wants that question okay it's my turn I don't remember what you said the cards were, but we'll just go. Oh, this is a would you rather. Oh, would you rather. Okay, would you rather work more hours per day but less days or work less hours per day but more days? Hmm. I think we have both. Why this gets into y'all's territory. All the hours, it's super all the interesting. days. It's really difficult owning your own business in the creative industry when you don't have set hours. Mm. My office is at home. I leave to go to work. I come home and I work. Uh... I think I would have to say I would rather work more hours a day but less days because we spend a ton of time together and with our kids. And when I'm working a lot, it's, uh, I don't know, sometimes I just want a batch of days where I don't have to do anything. So yeah. I would have to say I w- I'm totally fine with working hours and hours for a day nonstop. And I do that so that I can afford myself time to not have to you know I, I did that for mother's day i had six weddings i had to i didn't have to but i knew that i wanted to edit and deliver everything that i had i wanted for the first time in two years to be 100 percent caught up for mother's day weekend mm. <laughs> and i did it uh, and i had a saturday friday saturday sunday and monday to not do anything. I nice? didn't have any shoots that weekend. I started Tuesday. I, ha- I had a shoot that Tuesday evening, and I just 
had I, I reset the course you know I, I am start I was able to start fresh with nothing on my plate and the freedom that I felt that weekend was amazing so which was disappointing because Justin was, on, was in I was on tour in Georgia on tour in oh Georgia. I think I might have even seen that yeah. on online or posted so uh, he separately. wasn't he wasn't home to see me like not have anything on my plate that you know even if I'm not gonna go and I know I'm not gonna go sit in the office and work it's like I always have I have constant anxiety so I'm always thinking about oh I have this open project I really need to work on it and get it done when I really don't Mm. have to sit down and do things it's just it's it's always on my mind so it was really great to have a you know four days where I didn't have anything to do yeah and I had to find something to do like not work-wise but like I painted the kitchen cabinets and like framed a whole bunch of Ansel Adams prints and like just I kept going but still it it wasn't it wasn't actually work yeah no I get that that makes a total sense I can relate to that you feel the same way? Yeah, I've done both. So mm-hmm. I've worked jobs where I did four twelves and then was off for a few days, and that's fine. And then, you know, now it's like I don't work as much, but, you know, the gigs sometimes can be long, and I may have a bunch of them in one week. Yeah. You know, where I'm, I'm home a lot, but then when I'm gone, it almost kind of feels like the pressure of the work kind of gets tighter yeah whenever it's in a shorter period of time yeah like like say for instance i've got a a session tomorrow with a an artist who wants to come in and lay down like four kind of acoustic songs but we have to do them kind of lightning fast yeah it's like so it almost kind of feels like all the pressure that you would normally can expand over a two-day session you have to now condense into this short period of time Mm -hmm. so i kind of don't know what i'm saying no i get what you're saying what you're saying sounds a lot like I don't know. I guess I'm in a weird predicament too because we have office hours, so it's like nine, eight to five. But I don't work eight to five. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work eight to eight some yeah. days, eight mm-hmm. to seven, eight to six, eight to nine, depending oh, yeah. on what's going yeah. on. And then something that's interesting is you're right. You're you do photographs at events, and then you mm-hmm. perform. A lot of times you're working when other people are off. That's it. So that's kind of what happens with me when I'm videoing events. I'm like, well, you know, everybody's at the event, but I'm Mm kind of working at the event. So I'm not experiencing the event. I've kind of scaled that back, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because I... I did it for a decade or more, and I just got to where I was like, okay, I'm sort of living my life through this viewfinder Mm -hmm. and I'm on the other side of things. But the weird thing that's happened for me is that now that I've decided to scale that back, I don't really want to go to any of that stuff. Mm. It's strange. I feel like I got mm-hmm. burned out. I went, I saw it, 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 and now I'm like, I just, I'm yeah. kind of tired of looking at it. Thanks for the horn. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, I think maybe when you're you're at the event, you're like, well, and you're working. I wish I wasn't working. I wish I was here. You know, you know so, <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> but if you're home, like it's not necessarily an event that you may force yourself to get out and and go to right, but when you're there right, you're yeah. like i'm here i would kind of wish i wasn't working i mean i'm like that yeah okay news flash this goes back to all that stuff i was talking about with evolution and biology and all that kind of stuff that i'm super into so whenever you can look back in the lineage of where we come from when you go back to like hunter gatherer days and things like that and even before um, men were kind of designed to not have as much emotional attachment to their families as we do now. Okay. Cause at the time, you know, dad is going to leave and go for 
a week at a time to either go hunt or gather or whatever. And then as you know, time gone on before the industrial revolution when we're all farming, you know, dad would go work 12 hours a day, every day to keep Mm -hmm. the fields up. So our, our brains didn't create as much of an emotional bond with our children and with our, and and it was more, things were more physical back then, Mm. I guess you could say. So news flashed all my plant worker friends. That is something that I think we as modern men need to fight in ourselves. Because, you know, there are a lot of things that some people will say, men are all supposed to be like this, supposed to be this way. And that goes right back to my, if you're going to tell me to go left, I'm going to go right. You know, (laughs) and that one thing that we think we need to fight in ourselves is this thing that men get where it's like, show up early, stay late. I never see my kids because I'm constantly working because I'm trying to create this type of life or whatever. It's like compromise on the type of life you want to have materialistically for the better life mm-hmm. with your family and with your spouse and with your kids. You know, I think, I think that we, we as dudes, me and you specifically, we need to fight that in ourselves. Yeah. And I think that part of it is because part of what you saw in yourself there as a enlightened cat and a dude who wants to fix himself is you saw that in yourself of going like, I'm not having any community with these people that are all around me having community within and of themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the outside looking through this box that has a glass on the front of it. And this is how I'm interacting with people. Whenever you knew in, in your in your heart of hearts that you wanted to be in that in that mode. Right. You didn't want to be con- like working eight to nine. I do that all the time, too. But it's like, what are you missing out on that eight to nine? Yeah, that that we as men we need to. I think men need to evolve a little more. Yeah, no, I, I don't I, know if you. I don't know if I'm rambling. Well, but. I know I get what you're saying. I've I've said something in, in to people and online and just in very other conversations. I said, you know, there's this idea, and I guess I was kind of in that mode the last few days with Memorial Day. You know, because I see. Well, I'll give you an example. I see there's an encouragement for people to post things about Memorial Day if you have a business. You know, remember our troops. And and I don't want to say that like belittling because I'm going to really catch some really shit for saying this kind of thing. Sure. But I get a little discouraged by that kind of stuff. Sometimes I I see that stuff and it's like, especially Happy Memorial Day. I see that over and over on Memorial Day. And I'm like, Happy effing Memorial Day? Yeah. Come on, Dude, man. No this is lie. not, this should never, there's something from the Tao Te Ching that stuck with me. I've talked about on this show. It's one of those lines that just like somebody took a hot brand and put it in your head and it said, a man goes into a battle as if he's entering a funeral. Oh, man. And I mean, I was like, yes, my gosh, that just spoke to my heart because I thought that's, that's the way we should treat as a man. That's the kind of man I want to be. I'd rather fight the battle of my heart inside my heart with myself hmm. than ever be thrown out to some foreign land to die for nothing in some battle that doesn't ultimately do anything but harm the human race i don't so no not happy memorial day man i'm never gonna stick the freaking word happy in front of memorial day because it just it it gets into this weird place for me because it's kind of an oxymoron right it is it's such an oxymoron and i go it doesn't mean i don't feel for the people who have lost sure. these soldiers doesn't mean that I don't see that sometimes this has been a sacrifice but please don't just drape everything in the stars and stripes and put happy in front of it because this is not a time to celebrate yeah. this this mm-hmm. is not a party day right. not, not that you know and people do say that hey remember why we're having this day and I go oh I do 
yeah. and I'm sad about it. Yeah. And no, I don't always think that this is something that we should celebrate. I think we celebrate that too much in men. War. Yeah. You know, and, and machismo, and, and it's it's overdone. I think we're, we can we can can we not move past that and be another type of man? I don't know. That's no, stuff I'm, I think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're you're moving on to a different type of man. I I think the war that you know, like you face. I think it's more at home. It's like a war with yourself of getting rid of your own selfishness, uh, things like that. You know, can I be a good dad when I have this mindset that I'm created for war and defense and all of these things, you know, how can I take how I'm, how biology has designed me and use that to be a better man instead of having the, well, can I, can I work to eliminate the cause for the need of defense in the first place. Well, you know what I mean? Like, can I work to end the thing that I'm having to defend from? Like if I have to be a man to defend my territory, my family, my people, if I'm prepping for that at all times, can I not just take that energy and work from the other end of it to just end the cause? You know, the very thing, the very root. Okay, so, so you're talking about like physical, like violence and things like that, like ending the cause of physical violence. Yeah, like can I not work and put those energies? Because I see like men, and again, this is going to just come off as like super sick judgment, but I see men that just revel in how many guns they own. And I own guns. Yeah. Okay, I do. I own guns. And let me tell you, just straight up, they're for defense. Yeah, sure. And if I ever have to use them in defense, I'm going to cry my eyes out because I don't want to ever get to that place. Yeah. But I don't run around and shoot guns and revel in them. Does that, you know what I'm saying? I don't yeah, go, ooh, no. this would, I can't, this is amazing how much destruction this yeah, causes. Glorifying the glorifying violence. Glorifying the violence. Mm-hmm. So I go, well, if I, if I'm spending my days in that because it makes me more of a man. What if I took that same amount of energy and worked from the other end and just worked to stop the damn thing that I'm prepping for in the first place? Sure. Use my heart and my energy and, and my compassion and love and mercy and understanding and kindness. What if I use those tools, call them weapons if you want to, Yeah. stack up that stuff and work from the other end of it so I, then the thing I've built up my walls yeah. for isn't even there. I think both are probably equally important right now because it goes back to what you said earlier. When we Maybe before we were recording, I don't know if we were recording or not, but you talked about sometimes the conversation doesn't go well because we we attribute good nature to people who don't have it. Right, yeah. So, so you, you're going to come in contact with that too where you want to fix with... You want to appeal to people's better nature, but they just may not have one. You yeah. Know? Uh, but I think, like, you can look, um, if you look at, like, the history of Celtic culture in, in Ireland and Scotland, those dudes were fighting all the time, hmm. especially in Ireland. They still fight. Everybody's fighting. They don't even know what they're fighting about. You know, Catholics are fighting the Protestants. They're blowing each other up, killing each other's kids. Don't even know why. Well, there, there's a, psych- a lot of psychological stuff and psychologists that think that the reason why alcoholism is so prevalent in, in that culture and I could say that because I come from that culture. My my mom's maiden name is McGee, so it, we come from a very deep Irish and Scottish uh, heritage. It's because the the need for conflict, not the need for conflict, but the the idea. I, ke- I kept saying, I said it over and over in the podcast that you're built for war, right? Mm. I said it over. I, and these these men, they at sometimes when they would come to an age where they couldn't fight anymore, they created a war within their own body. Mm. They, their, no, sub, their, gotcha. their subconscious shifted the fight 
So, yeah, but so, that's so, interesting. So there was no physical fighting. So you got to have this one now. Now, now. I have to create this fight within Keep my it own. with me. I got my own little personal fight. Exactly. My own me. personal yeah. war. And I think that what you just said about fixing the cause, I think we can even take some of that need as men that kind of built for war aspects. Our minds are built to be able, sometimes our, our minds, especially before, I think we've gotten to a place now where with the rise of post-traumatic stress, we see that the mind not becoming weaker, but becoming more empathetic towards violence. Mm. Whereas before, if you looked even before World War One and stuff, dudes would just fight and nobody had PTSD. You know, or, or it wasn't as prevalent as it is now because the the mind was different. We weren't as we weren't in where we are now. Well, I think that the way I've taken that, I'm as you can see, Orin, I'm not like combat ready. I'm <laughs> a, you know pretty skinny guy. You, you look like you're pretty combat ready. You're, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, I got the big skull. <laughs> skulls. You're, you're ready to go. But I've decided that we can take that combat mindset and fight the things in ourselves. Like that's the one thing you always mentioned, Theo, I love Theo's thing about porn, pornography and sure. And, and you know, sorry if I'm getting too adult. No, no, podcast, no the wherever. fighting of pornography and masturbation in men. And yeah. It's like that. It's scientifically proven that that hurts you. That he is a pioneer in that man. You're right. I'm glad you brought that up because it's not something we do talk about in here. But I I love him for that because yeah. I'm like, dude, that's one of my favorite parts of his when show. When he whatever. gets into that, I'm like, nobody's being this honest about this. I know. If anything, they're being dishonest and saying. I mean, people are telling couples to to watch that stuff together. It's like, no, it's bad for you, man. Let's fight that that lustful heart of looking as pe- people as objects, yeah. looking at women as objects, and treating ourselves as we are the greatest thing in the world is what you're doing in that moment. You're yeah. this voyeur uh, thinking that you're above everything else. Yeah, like, what did he say? He's like, you're giving all you love to that little screen, man. That's it, man. Just a little screen. And I was like, God, dude. Yeah, if anybody's listening to this and they don't know what we're talking about, yeah. Um, Take off your earmuffs and go listen to Theo Vaughn's podcast this past weekend because really it, he is funny, but he gets into territory, yeah. especially I would say for for men, yeah, uh, young men too who may be struggling with stuff. The guy's podcast is pretty yeah. incredible. You just give it a chance, and I think that we as men, if we would focus our combat heart, our warrior heart, and fighting stuff like that too, I think we're you just end up seeing that you just become this. A better version of yourself. You yeah. just kind of like you take all the impurities out, you know, and you just become this refined version of yourself. Especially that world. When you get out of that world, which I've been, I've been off that stuff for, I don't know, it's going on years now, you know, and I, I did it kind of like an Alcoholics Anonymous kind it's of like, way. Like, hey, yeah. 12 step program and then uh, one day at a time kind of fight against it. You you become this a really awake version of yourself. Well, and you know, you just said the 12 step program. I think that's another thing. And I don't, a lot of people may already know this, but I really didn't know this until recently that, um, 12 step programs there are forms of that out there for all kinds of things and they work i mean you can apply that to Mm -hmm. anything i mean really any kind of addictive behavior or something you want to deal with in your life there you don't have to be an alcoholic to to utilize those 12 step programs yeah man see look at that question (laughs) there it goes man i love the (laughs) fishbowl i do i think the whole show could just be the fishbowl sometimes man this is a great place got one more question who's drawing it it doesn't matter let me do it okay do it okay you're going to do the... Would you rather? Would you rather again? What are you doing? Oh, no, you can... Yeah, that's okay. fine. People that's have done that before. Question. All right, let's do a... Guest okay. question. What is something totally relatable to you? 
totally really relatable broad. to you. Man. Okay. Well, I, sometimes when we get these questions, I'm like, okay, because I don't know what they all are. I just put mm-hmm. them in there. <laughs> I try to zero that in because that's pretty broad. Yeah, we need, to, so we like, need to hone that in. If you like had to pick somebody in the culture like that people um, – already know that you would say you that is relatable to you is there somebody out there you go you know i can relate to that person or when they speak Hmm. i feel like that speaks to my heart i just so don't know like mainstream people (laughs) if if i had to say someone i would have to say c.s lewis Uh, i've mentioned his name a bunch it just anything he's ever written has moved me and i've he, he said that um to be able to find someone and say you too Uh, that that, that's real friendship is finding someone and saying oh you feel the same way and anytime i read something that he's written i've gone oh my gosh you feel the same way Mm, yeah okay and then like i've i've read some of his other works and like he wrote um he wrote one when he was grieving his wife joy and i can't remember what it's called it's a very short work you can go read it online for free it's it's real short it's probably like you know, it's not even technically a book. It's okay. like an essay. And uh, reading the wor- things that he would say about grieving for his wife and stuff like that. And I don't relate to that specifically because my wife's still alive. Right. But reading his words, I'm like, I can see how I'm going to feel that way. Yeah, okay. I got you. And not not, not to say that I'm br- as brilliant as C.S. Lewis. I think he's one of the most brilliant minds, it's, especially in the Christian faith, but I think in literature, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always felt like he, I, he related to me, or I related to him in some way. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Do you have somebody like that—a book or an author or somebody that you read? Like you go, oh, every time I read this, this is it. This is where I'm at. I think uh, if I'm going to answer for you, I think Andy Hall from Manchester Orchestra. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I was that band. No, uh. Uh-uh. Um. Okay. Well, Manchester Orchestra is a band that I've listened to probably 15 years. Uh, you'll appreciate this if you go to their website. They have the most amazing marketing styles and techniques, and mm. their entire uh, aesthetic speaks to me on a level that nothing else has. I don't really? know why I didn't think of this. Uh, yeah, and he's got side projects. So he has uh, Bad Books, which is him and two other guys from two different from two different bands, uh, and then. Uh, right away, great captain. He's the singer for that. Which you what's play his, a song. What's his name? Andy Hall. Oh, you okay. play a song. The song for your podcast. Yeah. Uh, right away, great captain is that sound. Okay. Um, and Manchester Orchestra is is more modern, like kind of rock band. Okay. Um, I love that that song. <laughs> Funny. I need to who who sings you know they're called the frumps I think okay I need, to look, I need to look into that because I really I really like that song. they don't produce anything anymore okay. but yeah um you know I was putting the show together and just kind of tinkering around and I knew I wanted a song I was like but I want to find that yeah I want to find a song that like means something to mm-hmm. me right I mean I just listen to so much stuff and I was like, yeah, you know, I've heard this one, and I don't want to use something. Obviously, I can't afford to use something that everybody knows. And I was like, you know, I just want something. I don't know. And I started thinking about special places, and so I was searching, and I was like, okay, Colorado songs, you know, something like John Denver, because I really like <laughs> John Denver. And I was like, okay, so I landed on their song in a um, one of the places where I buy music from, and they just the only reason it popped up was because they were a band from Colorado. They didn't, the song wasn't about Colorado, but I was like, well, let me just play it. The lyrics yeah. of that song. Yeah, I was I like, need to hear the rest every of word of this song yeah. is like exactly <laughs> what 
this show is going to be mm-hmm. about. That was mm-hmm. that was amazing that that's how that you know I, I love that actually it was kind of serendipitous. Yeah. So I, I purchased the rights to use it, and I was like, man, I couldn't couldn't believe I found something. I actually found something that I hadn't heard before mm-hmm. that didn't really have any meaning until I heard it, but that every word of it literally just fed. Yeah. I was I love that. <laughs> awesome. So music. Yeah. I've already said really speaks to me. Uh, I have listened to th- I've listened to them for like 15 years. So wow. half of my life, just about, I've listened to this band. And they actually, when they first kind of formed, they actually played here in Lake Charles, and I really? I didn't get to see them, but uh, you know I was sheltered a little bit, yeah. so I didn't get to go out. I did, but uh, he, he did. He <laughs> went. Uh, yeah, and every I don't have a, a band that I can listen to every song he gets upset with me because if we're on a road trip we'll start listening to an album and I'm gonna change the song like I I can't listen there's not a single artist outside of Manchester Orchestra or anything that Andy Hull has done that I you know can listen to that I'm not just gonna switch mm. to a different song or a different artist altogether but we were talking about my inability to express outward displays of emotion like during worship or or whatever yeah we went and saw manchester orchestra last year my first time seeing them after so you, many did years you of feel it like and it i did, felt like... so i'm super critical i'm kind of like like a stick in the mud when it comes to concerts and we go to a lot of shows and i just can't ever like if someone's raising their hand singing at any kind of show uh, or like getting emotional i'm just kind of like oh super weird like i just do not it's get not that. your not your when deal saw manchester orchestra Raising my hands. I don't even like clapping at the end of songs. Like, I Mm -hmm. clap at the end of his. But, like, even that, I'm like... People are watching me clap. I don't know uh, what yeah, it is okay. about that, but uh, there's there's got to be some kind of psychology going on with that. But yeah, I was super into it. I was raising my hands. I was crying when they played like the songs that I relate to the most, and it was just such an amazing experience to finally understand what most people feel when they go see their you know when they go see a show or something yeah. like that. So yeah, I that's a really yeah you know me better than I know myself. That's really interesting. This is a, this question at first when you read it, I thought. Well, this is a simple question, but it's like so broad. But now it's got me thinking like if some if to reframe that a way I would love to write that question is if you could give somebody one work, a book, a song, an album, something that you did not create. Yeah. But that thing you're giving it them so they understand you. What would that be? That's a good good because y'all both used items like yeah. C.S. Lewis, his works, and that. It's a good way to frame that. It might be a, a question I might write and put in there. Like, what's a what's a work? Yeah, that you would use that you did not create wow. to describe you. Yeah, it's kind of a cool experiment. I think with C.S. Lewis, even more than his fiction or his, I would say his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I would give I would give that one first because it's the story of a one of a a man changing himself. And deciding that he wasn't going to be this version of himself anymore, but then also this really strange relationship that he kind of fell backwards into with this woman that eventually became the love of his life. Yeah, I love. I just I love that. I love stories like that too. There's a book I, for a while back in my twenties. I went through this sort of like uh, time where I was like, oh, I got to read these books everybody keeps talking mm-hmm. about. The classics I read like Catcher in the Rye, uh, Death of Ivan Illich, Siddhartha, stuff like that, and uh, those books all really I left an imprint and I was in the right headspace I think to read them but that the death of Ivan Illich was very much like that in that regard like a man who 
had, had built up things for himself and kind of formed this life and then ultimately death faces him and it's mm. the end of the book is just this unzipping of all of these things yeah. he held dear and his revelations of that it was it was a sad book but it was like a real it's a wake-up call it's like a slap in the face sure you know well this has been a lot of fun yeah man yeah did y'all have fun i love it yeah good i did too i'm glad i got to finally meet y'all in person it's so strange because so many people almost everybody not everybody but most of the people i don't know them until they come in here that's perfect i love it that's perfect dynamic i I love the way that those unfold i do too because man and it goes right back to something a big mission of the show is like to kind of change the way we use social media you know social media you can look at people's pictures you can look at their posts I'm telling you, just I know, and y'all probably have experiences too, just from doing this show. I don't know those people. I only know that little bit. But yeah. there's so much more, so much more to y'all sure. than just what you post. And you do a good job. You're very, I mean, I think I would say it's authentic. I mean, you both, I always like to do that too. How authentic is the person to versus what, what they post? Yeah. Yeah. But y'all are pretty, I mean, I'd say like, she especially. Y'all are authentic people. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all putting out, you're not different than what you're putting out there. You're not cool. like putting on a show. You were both. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I can't wait for everybody to. And my wife over here is working on a on a book. Really? Oh that, yeah, you mentioned yeah. that online. I, I can't wait for people to experience yeah. that. Now, what's the book going to be about? So the book, it's a it's a monster, really. It's it's mostly a recipe book. It's kind of like rejuvenating the. I call it theology behind being in the kitchen, behind being, you know, being behind the stove Uh and falling in love with cooking and recipes. And it just, I don't know, everyone, you know, associates me with photography and yeah, the pictures in the book are banging like, but (laughs) uh, my heart is just in the kitchen and yeah and uh that started from a very young age i have my parents to thank for that as well but uh yeah it, it's a lot about being in the kitchen and uh, i have a lot of friends who are overwhelmed by the thought of cooking mm-hmm. and, you know oh so you might have really liked yesterday's episode with megan uh yeah she i'm halfway i'm halfway through it yeah for sure um but uh i i just am a rambler like when I talk and uh, I it kind of started uh, I would just post ramblings and whether it's about the boys or being in the kitchen and people yeah. really just gravitated towards that and we he has always told me you know you're a photographer but like I know you're a writer and I'm just like that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard but like <laughs> I don't even I'm sorry I just don't even like to read really <laughs> and uh yeah so it's it's a it's kind of like a a kitchen inspiration book and the That's importance cool. of being around the table and finding ways to i don't know it just feels uh, it's it's like therapy for me being in the kitchen. It's, sometimes it's, it's the a, best. Sometimes stuff. it's a little bit of therapy. Sometimes it's a little bit of uh, um forgiveness from a bad day i think mm. uh, a lot of i don't know and i i just uh, yeah i don't know no i, I get <laughs> there's I, there's all kinds of gonna be can, all kind of stuff in there so that yeah, it's, it's interesting how often the kitchen can be a a place of a, a sacred space for a lot of mm-hmm. things i mean i know there's been many times in my life where i've, I've experienced the kitchen differently depending on mm-hmm. what yeah. was going oh, on oh yeah that, Dude, it's super yes. interesting because like i cook gumbo like nobody's business i think i think i'm a good gumbo cook but i used to hate gumbo Mm. but it's interesting now that like he cannot even be home with me all day 
and come home and, and eat a bowl of gumbo and it's like he knows what kind of day i had based off of what you cooked what it well what oh, the, gumbo the gumbo tastes, tastes like. like yeah oh, wow. and so you know it's there's wow. a little bit about that and then there you know we're gonna have i'm gonna have a probably a whole section to that trash pot yeah that we talked I about love that. that trash pot that, that that's we found. my favorite and thing I've i have had... an entire recipe ba- of a trash pot etouffee based off of that the, the that's like, cool divine like finding of, i love of I, that and that pot. object think about such a special mm-hmm. object. i mean that's a holy relic in Dude, our house yes. it really is did, our, our did we talk about sacred. that like the walk a and all that the breath of the walk right. oh just a little bit and through commenting go dig into that i really man. i really need y'all to, that's that uh, y'all's pot i mean yeah, like i i when y'all started talking about that i was like this is exactly exactly like what mm-hmm. they're talking about in that the walk a and it come it was something i'd heard anthony bourdain talk about oh man that, yeah and he was talking about well, he was somebody to walk you know but he, he's he, a saint in our he, house us yeah. too man i mean he's a huge inspiration for the direction that the book has taken that's awesome uh yeah i love that mm-hmm. what did he say the the best way to to get to know a place is to get drunk with the locals. <laughs> I think yeah, I have a say. shirt. Actually, I have yeah. a shirt of oh, Anthony yeah, Bourdain says. flipping the bird, and he's like, talk, "It's just a quote about uh, get drunk with the locals." Yeah, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. traveler like him. I mean, just the way I, I felt like I actually got to experience the places. Oh, I, I know. Went to. And like, then no, no one the, else. his whole—he's so abrasive but eloquent, and I don't think you know mm. it was so disappointing. When I learned of his of his yeah. death, because it was like in that moment, you know, I've never met him, but we had talked about going to because he travels and speaks, and that was like my biggest thing. Like I wanted to go see Anthony Bourdain, which I guess I can relate somewhat, I guess inspiration wise. Yeah. Him, but you know, he was so eloquent with how he spoke about the places and just the reverence he had for food and his time being in the you know just being a fry cook in the kitchen is like you know all of those things and then just to know that like there's no new words Uh, there's nothing new and that was i mean i have never understood people grieving the death of a celebrity but i went through it with that man for weeks i still can't watch Anything. I haven't watched I the last watch episode that, that came out. I, oh, that's the no. only one I haven't watched. Yeah. And I think he was even in a, um, somebody had wrote an article about it. And I think he's in a, a somewhere where that was prevalent Buddhism was the religion. And I, yeah. and they were talking about it. And I was kind of reading the description. I said, I'm not ready to kind of mm-hmm. watch that yet. I just feel like it, if I watch it, then that's the end yeah. of it. You know? And uh, I, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't it's touched weird. The, the recipe books or. Yeah. I bought her that book. Lot. Appetites his, oh, his last really? book. I bought her that book like the week that that happened. Oh my gosh, man! Yeah. I'm yeah. getting like it's okay. Well, I saw I, that uh, Luna has a picture of yep. him hanging up, man. Yeah, well, I, I on that. the other hand, on the total opposite spectrum, I'm writing a book because <laughs> yeah. my favorite thing in the world is the small paperback fiction, like for young boys, like adventure Hardy novels. Boys oh, adventure yeah, yeah, novels. Yeah. I love that stuff, and like I have an old 1970s edition paperbacks of the Chronicles of Narnia, like the whole thing. Oh wow! It's just those small paperbacks, so I'm I'm. I'm like halfway through writing one called Jack Henry and the Curse of the Forgotten Amulet. Oh, I love those titles. I love that kind of stuff. It's uh, about a kid who they dis- they discover a forgotten you know relic in their backyard, and it turns his best friend into a hippo, and they go on this quest to try to figure out how to turn his friend back into a human. Mm-hmm. And there's a time the time traveling King Arthur uses Excalibur to travel through time, and like oh, it's insane. It's like I was like if I was twelve. 
what kind of crazy nonsense would I want to read? And so that's what I'm writing. Uh, that sounds awesome. You know, I, I used to have a real place in my heart for pocketbooks. My dad was a pocketbook reader, and I read a lot of his. And so I, I still have, and I have not read all of them, but um, all of his Doc Savage. Yeah. And did have all his old Doc Savage paperbacks from, nice. you know all of them he had every one of them and i love the covers he got those boris vallejo covers yes and the titles when you just said that title i was like that's oh, those doc savage <laughs> yeah. doc savage and the hammer of loki doc savage yes. and whatever and i was like oh i love oh, those titles uh, man. The, this is the so cool. curse of the phantom is another one i think or the phantom is another one that was those pocket books and they would have the craziest titles oh yeah those are awesome love the art on the cover that bronze you know the torn shirt and he's like looking back at whatever i was like god these are so cool yeah. man. and my grandpa really liked lou lamar which is oh, that's yeah. more the west Western thing, but it's still yeah. the pocketbook thing. Anyway, so I'm, I'm trying to. That's I'm, cool. I'm trying to write some of those. I, that's why I tell my son. He, sometimes he's like, "What were you doing in high school? Like, what'd you like?" I said, "I used to read pocketbooks." And he's like, "Pocket <laughs> to a kid now, a pocketbook that doesn't make any sense. I mean anything." Yeah. But my dad was a pocketbook reading like Mac Bolan, The Destroyer. That was my favorite series, The Destroyer. Do you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yes. The Destroyer? Yeah. Chun and the Remo Williams and yeah. Chun. I was like, dude, I could. To this day, I wish they'd make a really good modern movie oh, about those characters i'm like man and i miss that stuff if i have to say one you know since i feel like I feel like we're coming to to the close we I are we it. are wrapping up the <laughs> the biggest thing that has affected my life in like the last year with her with her book and mine and making albums and stuff is to just say yes to every creative impulse that you mm-hmm. have see it through just say yes no don't even see it through oh Lauren, just go ju- for it just say yes oh whenever you feel it whenever you say mm-hmm. i, I want to write this thing sit down and just and start doing it even if you fail if you get through like a, a paragraph and you're like i hate this i don't want to do this then don't do it but at least whenever it happens when it first strikes say yes catch say, the spark huh? c- catch the spark or you know i've gotten to the point where people text me and they're like hey man we should get together and and write a song or, or do i go let's where what are you doing what are you doing right now and they're like, oh, well, I'm at work. I'm like, okay, well, let me know when you're not doing something and then tell me stuff like yeah. that. And like, but, but because the- then sometimes pe- people, I'm sorry, <laughs> no, like uh, at the studio, I have a, my friend will just drop by and be like, I got this song idea. Let's write it. Mm. And, and we'll just see it through. And I, I think I've written five songs for this album in that way of someone go, of me saying, I've got this idea. Let's do it. And then we'll just write it out. And then it just comes out and it's like, you catch that spark and you just blow on the on the embers and it just explodes you know what i just had the spark for the title for y'all's episode (laughs) i did i did i'm not kidding i'm not gonna tell you what it is but i'm gonna write it down i'm not kidding that happens a lot of times i tell everybody it used to not be a thing but it's turned into a thing people like what are you gonna call this episode we can call it because they Mm. don't they're not relevant a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's like you have to listen to the show yeah right and go oh that's why it's called this it's just Mm -hmm. one little thing and it just it hit me as you I've talking. always been confused by those. So. That's what they are. If you live, mm-hmm. people go, why is it called the what? The that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. It's like because it's something that was in the show. Yeah. And you just got to catch it. Gotta you got to you got to listen the whole thing it. to get yeah. the title. Yeah. All four hours of Megan's podcast. No, oh, Me- yeah. Megan Green. Megan's was I'll tell you who's is the longest though. He's got the gold. Is Devin Morgan? Okay, he's got four hours and something. Well, I thought that. Rusty's was super long too. Rusty's was about two hours and thirty okay. minutes, but but longer. Devin's was the longest. Wow, four hours and twenty minutes or something like that. <laughs> so Megan and I went to Sulphur High together for a little while, and we have this funny story that we traded mixed CDs together. Did you? Yeah, I'll give her CDs with Eagles and Bob Dylan and Tom Petty, <laughs> and she would give me CDs with like. 
crazy screamo stuff that I was not not even in my world. I'd put it in my headphones, and my mom would turn and look at me like, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, "I don't know." That's so funny. Yeah. Well, how do people find you guys? I mean, if they want to connect with you online, or if you want them, you know, customers, or just anybody who's like, "Hey, I, like, I heard you." I like customers. Customers, <laughs> yes. How do? What's the best way? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Emily Rose Martindale. I also have a business page for my photography, Martindale Media Group. Okay. But on Facebook, I'm not very active with it, uh, just because algorithms, I haven't figured that out yet. It's gotcha. a waste of time. Uh, so you'd rather they I'm just mostly, contact you directly? Yeah, my, yeah. my personal Facebook page. I want to be your friend. Uh, <laughs> but also, I'm extremely active on Instagram. It's just at Martindale Media Group. Gotcha. Okay. We're going to put some links in the show, oh, too. The post. How about you, same? I don't know. (laughs) I know my uh, personal Facebook page, Justin Lee Martindale, and then my band page for Justin Martin on the Backstabbers is Ah. is, uh, at JM and the BS. I don't know what my Instagram handle is. I think it's Justin Justin underscore Martindale Martindale underscore music. I'm going to find it, though, and put it in the the description. I appreciate that. uh, Emily's really good at that kind of stuff, and like her Instagram is all concise, and it looks correct, (laughs) and she gets new followers because of that, and everything's hashtagged really well, and mine is just like, here's a bunch of pictures of my dog and my guitar. That's it. Or Nolan Ryan. Yeah. (laughs) I like baseball. Yeah. This has been fun. Yes. I love you just as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.